Good evening, everyone. Um, I will now call to order this meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education. The first item on our agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. So if you would all please rise with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The next item is the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion for the adoption of the agenda. Move to adopt. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Second. Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Passes unanimously. The next item on our agenda is public comment. Um, public comment occurs at regularly scheduled Board of Education meetings to provide an opportunity for individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. We provide a three-minute public comment window, and I just wanted to say a moment with regards to the timing of the amount, the amount of time that you receive to do your public comment. If we change the amount of time based off of the content of what someone is going to say, that that violates the First Amendment. So time, speech, and place restrictions on public comments are the same no matter what um, for whoever is speaking. And so we do hold fast to the three minutes for public comment for each speaker. Requests for auxiliary aids or services for persons needing assistance to address the board um, can be made in advance to Terry Wintering, our board clerk. Um, when you are making your comments, please proceed to the podium when your name is called and share your name, city of residency, and what schools you're affiliated with, um, and the name of any group or organization you're representing. In consideration of folks' time, please select a group spokesperson to represent your interests if you have similar interests to those speaking and if it's possible to have one person speak to those. Written comments and materials are accepted and should be given to the clerk of the board for distribution. If you can, please ensure that there are eight copies so that each board member and the superintendent can receive a copy of the comments. Um, please make your comments while remaining behind the podium. Um, and complaints regarding specific students or staff should first be provided to the administration in accordance with board policy KN so that we can ensure that um, privacy restrictions can be put in place and those comments can be heard in executive session. So with that, we will go ahead and get started. And it looks like the first person this evening is Ms. Brandy Duffield. Okay, well, I, um, thank you, Ms. Duffield. And then the next person is Ms. Diana Lindquist. Good evening. I hope you don't mind, I'm gonna pull this down because it fogs up my glasses and I can't see. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, I am Diane Lindquist. I live at 115, I'm sorry, 15007 West 85th Terrace in Lenexa. My son attends uh, Shawnee Mission West. And I am here to talk about seventh grade and 12th grade getting back to school. Uh, as I said, my son is a senior and I must tell you the mental anguish I have seen alone in him along with all of his friends since March. The mental anguish is, it's amazing. I mean, it's just devastating. The most important job we have as parents is to make sure everybody and every, I'm sorry, everything better for our children is made. Yet I feel that I am unable to do that. The district and the gating criteria is so strict that I feel I am being restrained from giving my son hope. In last week's meeting, we heard a lot of praise about how teachers are having to shift and adjust, but no one has asked the children how they feel or how their emotions are feeling today. 
Sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> um, so how are they? How are they emotionally, socially, academically? How are they dealing with all the changes? Teenage suicide is up since March, and these are, these are, these are decisions and these are conversations that need to be addressed. Their opinions and feelings should matter, especially now since they are isolated to one room with a Mac for six and a half hours a day, five days a week, with no one to talk to and no humans to see. How can they mentally handle such a challenge for nine months? Do these kids even matter? Dr. Fulton, you. <laughs> In last week's meeting, you talked about how to make it work for students changing classes every hour. Blue Valley has set up an alphabetical system which allows so many students in the hall at one time. While masks must be worn and mandated at all time throughout the school day. I have also heard twice now about a saliva test. If taking saliva test means getting my son back in school, please bring it on and I will personally pay for it. I will do anything to have my child back in school. Our children's mental health and education is so much more important and at stake than getting COVID and with a less than 1% rate of getting it. One more thing. We parents care more about our children than any of you in this room because they're our, they're our kids. We want to come together as a community. We want better communication. We want to be involved. Brainstorm with us. Ask us questions. Maybe we have ideas that will work that none of you have even thought of. Let us work together with you on this. We are all working together for the same reason, and that is to get our kids back in school. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker this evening is Mr. John Segal. Thanks. <laughs> what I'm gonna say is gonna illustrate exactly the place where you guys are between two situations where you really can't win, so I'm sorry about that. John Segal, 5325 Alden, Shawnee, um, father of two Ray Marsh students. Uh, I have a 25-year history of politically supporting the district publicly and uh, public schools in general in Kansas, so I think I've earned my stripes as a public school supporter even though my kids go there, and I'm a graduate of Shawnee Mission School District as well. I want my kids back to being physically in school as well, but I want them back with a systematically applied model that was conservatively approached as, as the previous version was from August 21st. That contract laid out a September 22nd decision date, and it was a very conservative and systematically applied approach that exceeded actually the county gating criteria, and we really appreciated that. But for some reason, on the 9th, a week ago, that was thrown out the window, and now we're rushing back to an October 19th date, which I think is dangerous to everyone. And as we know with elementary school kids, they are the most likely to be asymptomatic spreaders of COVID-19. That can affect their families directly and the, their indirect families, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles. Those are the same folks that they've been rely, relying upon for support throughout this entire disaster that's been going on. The September 9th plan really threatens to undercut the life of their family and even the life of our teachers, unfortunately. I understand the position of parents who have to go to work because they're essential workers. I think the district should fashion some type of hybrid model or cohort model for those kids so that they can go to school and their parents can go to work doing the essential jobs that they need to. 
And that model can be something larger that we adopt out to the rest of the school district as we hopefully re-enter as quickly as possible. Finally, under current, the current COVID-19 situation our nation is really the result of adults behaving foolishly and irresponsibly, not wearing masks, not social distancing. And what I'm asking the district to do is reconsider the decision of last week, go back to the previous decision, wait to the 22nd, apply the very conservative gating criteria that you had in place for elementary school kids, and reassess the situation after the 22nd, and get us moving in the right direction based on the numbers and not based on political pressure from the parents and others in the community. So thank you very much. I appreciate the position you're in. I think it's horrible, but we just have to make the best of it. Thanks. Thank you to both our speakers this evening. We do reserve 5.30 to 6 for public comments and then fill it with whoever provides the notice to Terry. And then with only two speakers, we still have that time frame from 5.30 to 6. So we will briefly pause until 6 o'clock for the resumption of the meeting. Um, we'll see you guys then. Thank you. Okay, it's 6 o'clock, so we're going to resume um, this meeting. and. Uh, Ms. Timbery was just mentioning and reminding me, and I think it's useful to point out that tonight is our first workshop. Um, I believe it was three months ago, although it could have been longer than that because time is now fluid. Um, we were discussing opportunities in which to have program evaluations and to have the district bring to the board items for discussion prior to voting on them so that there would be a two-week gap between receiving the information so that board members could process all of the publicly presented information and process input from the public without voting on it on the same night. And so we decided to adopt a workshop schedule for this school year to have workshops at the beginning of the month and then have the board meeting at the end of the month where we would then vote on whatever was presented at the workshop. And so tonight's workshop was initially going to be one of the program evaluations, but in light of everything that's happening right now, um, it has been shifted to be a reopening school update. Um, but I wanted to give that uh, background information so that folks would know that in general workshops will be light on voting. If we vote on anything, it will likely be like a consent agenda item. There won't be large items up for debate and discussion and voting at workshops. And so with that, I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Fulton, for item 3.1. Well, good evening. It's great to see everybody tonight. And as is typical uh, with our reopening school updates, there'll be a number of team members presenting. Well, if it's okay, we'll walk through the uh, slideshow and then we'll be happy to respond to uh, any questions that you may have. Um, you know, as, as you know, in July, we released information on how we would start the school year. Specifically, we began the school year in the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment's red gating zone, whereby all students, and for us, that meant that all students would start remote. The JCDHE requires that for all secondary students, but does allow elementary students to have in-school instruction. I want to commend our teachers for the great job they are doing, getting remote learning going, and also thank our parents and students for what I know is an extraordinarily challenging situation. This will be a year like no other. At the elementary level, let me, let me uh, just kind of work through this. What we're working really hard at doing is making sure that we're staying true to our mission of trying to meet the needs of all students building an inclusive culture, engaged community, and providing robust opportunities for our learners. 
We also are staying focused on our uh, destination, focusing on personalized learning plans that really focus, help students become college career ready and have the interpersonal skills that they need for life success. You know, when we, when we started off the year and we were working through uh, setting up our, our design, uh, we did an overall presentation and then later on the board set up a reopening resolution and you see that resolution here. That resolution has really guided us uh, as we've put our reopening plans together and it's worked really well. Uh, one thing for future consideration is that there are elements of, for example, the Johnson County Department of Health and Environment skating criteria that are not necessarily addressed in parts of our work. Things like, for example, transportation and uh, activities in athletics at the level that some of these other documents from the Kansas Department of Education and the Kansas State High School Athletics Association address. So um, one of the things I would ask for consideration on is perhaps just adding those into uh, resolution should the board desire to do so. Uh, that would just codify really uh, our practices in some of those key areas. Um, in the elementary level, uh, you know, understanding the importance of in-person learning. The district uh, shared at the August 24th Board of Education meeting and at an SMSD live event September 2nd our intentions to move to in-person learning for elementary. And uh, that was shared uh, in an email to all elementary parents on September 9th and clarified with follow-up information on September 11th. Our plan is to begin in-school instruction starting with a hybrid approach for elementary students on October 5th. This assumes, of course, that the JCDHE gating uh, criteria is red or lower. This will be done while adhering to specific protocols as defined by JCDHE, which include wearing masks, distancing three to six feet, and cohorting uh, students. You can see the Johnson County's um, criteria here in this slide, and it gives you an idea of how this criteria are set up. And you'll notice that in-person following safe opening principles. So what we're going to do is, uh, right now I'm going to have Shelby Ribbick come up and talk about what those reopening principles are and uh, the steps that we already have in place to address those principles, but then other considerations that relates to health guidance that we've received to make sure that we do this successfully and sustainably. So Shelby. So as we look toward the goal of all in-person learning, we also have the goal of keeping our infection rates down. As you know, not every family in Shawnee Mission School District is having the same experience with COVID. The death and illness that is so rampant in our community affects our students. It's their parents, their grandparents, aunts, and uncles who are hospitalized and some have even died. We even have students with significant illness as well. Appendix A has been a part of the Johnson County gating criteria, and we've referred to it often as we've discussed safe opening principles. But tonight we thought would be a good time to review these principles. 
So I, I realize it's very small up there, so I'm going to say it out loud for everyone. Plans should be in place for high-risk individuals to learn and work. We need to develop options for remote learning, promote healthy hygiene practices, and uh, which includes staying home when you're sick. We need to intensify cleaning and disinfectant practices. And as much as possible, student groups should remain the same and not intermingle. As much as possible, the same adult should remain with those static student groups. A six-foot distance between people should be maintained as much as possible. If six feet cannot be achieved, the three-foot three distance should be maintained. And this is particularly important when people are in close, close proximity or there's mixing between those static groups or when they're participating in activities where those respiratory droplets would be projected. Barrier masks or facial coverings are required per Governor Kelly's executive order. We should limit sharing of materials and supplies and practice good hand hygiene. Limit non-essential outside visitors. Maintain healthy operations, so establish those protocols for managing staff and students exhibiting uh, COVID, COVID symptoms. And appropriate personal protective equipment should be supplied. So I want to talk a little bit more about bullets five and six, cohorting and social distancing, as we're getting a lot of questions right now about these. Bullet five, cohorting, means that students should be interacting with the same students every day, all day. Sitting by them in class, eating with them at lunch, playing at recess in the same small groups. So when we have cases in schools, and I need you to hear when we have cases in schools, not as many students need to quarantine. Bullet six is about social distancing. Johnson County has stated social distancing of six feet or greater is best. However, when six feet cannot be achieved, three feet shall be maintained. And this is echoed by guidance for reopening schools from Children's Mercy, which states, ideally, desks should be placed six feet apart. When six feet cannot be achieved, desks should be placed at least three feet apart. The World Health Organization also offers guidance for schools stating one meter or three feet apart. Shawnee Mission School District will continue to push for best practice to guide our work. So as often as six feet can be maintained, it will be. For those times when six feet is not feasible, three feet will be maintained. This is important because at lunch, when children are unmasked in order to eat, if students are not six feet apart and one of those students tests positive, all students within six feet of the positive student will have to quarantine. So that six feet is important at times when students are not masked. Recess and PE will be important to maintain that six feet as well. And lastly, I just want to address uh, the second to the last bullet regarding maintaining healthy operating procedures. We have been implementing Johnson County Department of Health isolation and quarantine guidelines for the past two weeks. I think everyone needs to understand we will see and we are seeing cases in our schools requiring isolation and quarantine. Parents should expect and plan for 14-day quarantines. Build that into your hybrid or full in-person plans as a parent. And administrators are planning for 14-day sub-coverage. 
This is not because anyone is purposefully doing anything wrong. There should be no anger, no shame or stigma. We're in the midst of a pandemic. As much of an inconvenience as it is for all of us, it is our new reality. Thank you, uh, Shelby, for that update. You know, one of the things that I know that it's been uh, very frustrating for at the elementary level for parents, students, and staff alike is going through this change process now at this point in the year. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But uh, trying to get school started in the middle of a pandemic is difficult at best. We want, to do our, we want to do everything that we can to make sure that we're keeping students and staff safe while also working within the JCDHE uh, criteria that they've provided for us to operate schools uh, in, that, uh, in that red gating zone. One of the things that I think we're all coming to terms with is it's very possible we could be in this red gating zone for some time. None of us really know for sure, do we? We'll find out on uh, September 22nd what the latest round of uh, gating uh, zone we're in, whether it's green, yellow, red, or remote only. But regardless, we need to be in a position to operate our schools throughout the year as conditions change. And that's what we're trying to do, and do it as the very best job that we can with the least amount of disruption possible as we go through the year. At the secondary level, uh, we are starting, since we started the school year in the red grading, gating zone, uh, that brought with it restrictions for in-class learning and for athletics and activities. In an effort to, uh, you know, this was done in an effort to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19. Shawnee Missions stayed consistent with its commitment to these criteria to the point that uh, eventually we were the only Johnson County School District not engaging our students in activities and athletics. And that led to growing frustration by parents and students for those wanting in-class instruction, when we heard that tonight, and for Shawnee Mission to begin athletics and activities. And we understand that frustration, but we also recognize the absolute importance of working within JCDHE guidance. At the SMSD live event, JCDHE shared some good news, which was that the county is working to expand testing of COVID-19 for pre-K through 12 schools. That was followed up with news later in the week that the state of Kansas is pursuing increasing testing for schools as well. The advent of testing holds promise to provide the county and school districts with timely data on the status of COVID-19 in schools. That's something we don't have right now. That would be extraordinarily helpful. That would allow us uh, a much better understanding of the steps that we need to take to reduce the risk of spread. That includes informing the mode of instruction we should use, whether it's remote, hybrid, or all in person, in order to the reduce the risk of spread among students and staff. Given this news about testing, uh, it led me to pose a couple questions of JCDHE regarding what protocols, if any, could be used while in the red gating criteria for a hybrid model of instruction is at the secondary level now and for conducting some or all of the athletics and activities. With respect to athletics and activities, the, uh, 
sorry, with respect to uh, athletics and activities, JCDHE did provide specific guidance on protocols. I'll go through that in a second. Which did, uh, which did allow those to occur. With respect to in-class learning with a hybrid model, the answer to that question is not yet known. Nor are we making any assumptions about what might be possible. Hence, we remain remote while we're in the red gating criteria. We can move to hybrid as secondary once we reach the yellow gating criteria. Now, this is one example of why it's so important to have a good partnership with JCDHE. Uh, as part of that guidance uh, that I mentioned, they did provide us with recommended steps or protocols for activities in athletics, and you can see them here. Uh, we're looking forward to being a good partner with them and getting testing going. I will say this, testing does have a voluntary element to it. So even if we were to get testing, and we will, at what level we don't yet know, it would still require students to voluntarily participate in that uh, sampling process. Uh, and so we're doing everything we can to uh, safely move students into instruction and keep them there. But we're going to stay within the guidance. And here, as we work on elementary, we'll be up to the guidance allowed by JCDHE in the near future. So uh, with that, I want to turn it over to Dr. Hubbard, and she's going to give you a learning update, because there's a lot of really good work going on right now. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. I actually am not going to give the learning update, and I'm going to let you hear from some people in the trenches. Uh, we have some kids here to share with you their experiences. We have some teachers here instructional coach, and some administrators. So I'm going to start with Dr. Dennis. He's going to give a quick update on where we are with priority standards, proficiency scales, and then we'll move into Canvas. Thank you, Dr. Hubbard. Um, when it comes to learning, regardless of the learning mode that we are in, our mission remains the same, and that is learning for all students. Learning needs to be the constant and everything else we do are supports that help make that learning happen. So we do that with priority one standards that those are foundational to our ability to uh, deliver consistency across uh, our district and with proficiency scales. And I feel like I've, I've mentioned them before, I've talked to you about those before. Um, so I want to go a little bit deeper tonight. Um, obviously we're going to... Um, to work with priority standards, we're also going to work with fourth quarter priority standards from last year. But we also need to understand the importance of relationships in learning. James Comey, uh, Comer rather, uh, from Yale uh, University said that no significant learning happens without a significant relationship. And so during the first week of school, teachers across the district and across the state and the country spend time getting to know their kids. Uh, building that relationship so that learning can go on for the rest of the year. Learning is collaborative, and collaborative uh, not only in terms of working with each other uh, as teachers and staff, but also more than ever, learning is collaborative between schools and families, and students being part of those families. And it's also important that students are working together with each other and with teachers. So it really is a collaborative uh, model. How do we know what they've learned? How do we know if students have learned? There's really a two-pronged answer to this. 
One answer is that our instruction needs to be quality, needs to be research-based, so that we give our students the best opportunity to learn. Uh, teachers have a lot of autonomy in Shawnee Mission with how they present their instruction. The CNI support that we provide is intended to give them um, research-based strategies and support so that they can take those into their classrooms and, and work with students. The other prong of that, though, is assessment. And even though we are currently in remote mode, assessment goes on. And assessment, by, by assessment, that is a broad term. It's not only the state assessments and the, um, the standardized assessments like MAP and Acadians or Dibbles. But it's also that daily formative check that teachers have, even informally, to answer the question, can, uh, where are these students in terms of uh, mastering priority standards? In this process, feedback is critical. Um, I mentioned Hattie, John Hattie, a little bit ago. On a scale of uh, where 0.4 equals potential for um, accelerated student achievement, feedback, effective feedback with students uh, is a 0.7. In other words, it is a dramatic and important thing that we need to do. And so through this process, we are developing our skills and giving good quality feedback to students. We are also developing and have developed in every building a response to intervention model so that we can support students uh, with, who are starting to fall behind with this year's standards but also to uh, work with students who are missing those foundational skills and to work with them to uh, achieve high levels uh, of cognition. And finally, we want to work with students to uh, not only fill in gaps, but also extend their learning. Extending learning is not just for gifted students. All of us, in, in a variety of topics, we have strengths and we have weaknesses. There are areas where we need support, and there are areas where we can, can move ahead. Um, the answer is not just more work and piling things on, but the answer needs to be targeted and individualized to students. The answer is also not just more time in front of a screen. So we're encouraging students to, I'm sorry, we're encouraging teachers to incorporate time away from the screen as they work with kids so that they can apply the learning in a variety of modes. Uh, I'm going to turn it over now to, I believe, Kristen, uh, Krista and Lindsay. Thank you, Dr. Dennis. So Lindsay and I are here tonight to talk to you a little bit about our Canvas update and to share with you, we wanted to start with where we started and then where we are right now. So if you will recall in the spring, we asked our families and students and teachers and staff uh, what we could do to support them in the model of remote learning. And a consistent theme came out from both families and staff around the need for a streamlined process for communication and for workflow. So essentially that one-stop shop, as well as from the staff, we heard that they really wanted something that would integrate with current programs and um, tools that they were using. So that led to our adoption of Canvas. So Canvas is kind of our connecting program with three programs that teachers have been implementing and training with. So Canvas um, integrates with WebEx, so allows for our teachers to use the WebEx meetings to communicate with our students regularly. And so then it also connects to Skyward. 
And so that allows for the grades to transfer to Skyward so they could work within Canvas as that continuing program um, for students to access both of those pieces, for parents to both access those pieces. In previous programs that teachers have used, parents didn't have that access to everything that they do now. They can actually see exactly what a kid sees. They can click on it and see the grades and the feedback. They can email all the teachers at once including me and Krista sometimes because we're on there with their training programs to tell teachers in one email everything they need to say if a kid will be absent. So those three programs have been what our teachers have been working really hard on over the last few weeks, trying to see how they integrate, see how to make them work together to best serve our students and our families. So we wanted to share a little bit about our timeline that we worked through uh, since the spring. So essentially, we have compressed a nine-month to almost a 12-month process into about three months. And so we had weekly phone calls all summer long with Canvas to start this process and, and integrate um, our systems so that this would work. And then by August, we were ready to execute and implement Canvas with our teachers. And so um, we have, we feel like it's been a, a successful process in that um, we were able to get all of our teachers in and all of our students in, and um, we've had some opportunities for them to learn. Not that the, that's the end. There's going to be continuous learning throughout the year and ongoing from this point forward. So teachers were provided access to the program July 21st, um, and so that was when they first were able to access the program. We were waiting, of course, for Skyward also to be completed because they don't have access to their courses until Skyward rosters are complete. So they had to work in what's called a sandbox in that meantime, but they were able to get in and they were able to do the training course that was provided for them. They were able to try things and see the objectives. So we started with what we knew. We had varied levels of readiness with our teachers. We had teachers who had used Canvas before. We had teachers who are pretty quick tech learners. We have teachers who have never used an LMS or any system and were basically almost all paper. So we had a very broad spectrum of learners. So we tried to make sure that we tried to accommodate those learners the best we could, knowing we were coming back to kind of the COVID era coming back in August. And we didn't quite know what that would look like. So we started with the growing Canvas, um, growing with Canvas course. And so we both created videos. We had a checklist that broke down each objective. And then there were places where teachers were to break and go try those things. And then there was a place there also for them to kind of explore. We had webinars offered the last few weeks and continue to offer those. Um, the attendance to those webinars has dropped significantly after those first two weeks. So I think people are starting to collaborate more and they're starting to rely on their buildings a little bit heavier. But we had webinars which was recommended by training by Canvas to not only do this, the course online, but to have Canvas 101, Canvas Intermediate, some deep dives, but like for the grade book, we couldn't do that yet. So that's coming up here probably next week because they didn't have anything to work with in the grade book to try. So we kind of have to wait for things to slowly populate so we can teach them how to use that next piece. And um, we trained in-building instructional coaches. So they had extra training, they had extra time, and they had early access to the program. So many coaches worked within their buildings and held in-person trainings and worked with PLCs. There was the extra PLC time and extra learning time provided from the professional development for those first two weeks. Canvas has 24-hour support. They can chat. They can, I chat with them sometimes at 10.30 at night. Um, they can call them 24-7. They can also email them. 
And then we're continuing with those webinars, continuing starting to push out some specific things people ask for. We're kind of creating the how-to videos as we go. Um, we did have a course for students we created so students could go through a course and kind of learn the different pieces, although we're finding students adapted the program fairly quickly. Today I was in a study skills class and I said, do you know how to do this? Let me show you. And they're like, we know, we know. So the kids are really adapting pretty quickly. Um, and then we also had a lot of building leadership take place where teams of expert teachers were used in several buildings, instructional coaches, Library media specialists and specialist teachers also did some extra training with me and Krista and they were kind of go-to people as well within the buildings. So that was kind of our setup to get everybody going, to get almost 2,000 teachers trained on a program they had never, for the most part, a lot of them had never seen before. So the last thing we wanted to share, we did invite uh, some high school students as well as a high school administrator and then a couple of teachers. So if you don't mind, I'd like to introduce um, first Callan is a Shawnee Mission Northwest student. Callan, would you be willing to come up and share a little bit about your experience with Canvas? Yes. Uh, my name is Callan and I'm a senior at Shawnee Mission Northwest. and. Uh, there have been some things that I've really liked about Canvas and uh, this whole learning management system we've done. And the first thing I've liked about it is the ability to see my teachers in person and all my classmates. Because that's something uh, we were missing fourth quarter in a lot of my classes. And I would say I've been able to learn a lot more, uh, like seeing my teacher in person, collaborating with my classmates in the WebEx calls, and just being able to see their faces. That's helped me a lot, and I know uh, a lot of my classmates as well. But there have also been some drawbacks to Canvas learning the new system. I found out sometimes it's hard to uh, sometimes it's hard to find the assignments in uh, Canvas. There are a lot of things that they're under under calendar modules assignments, so sometimes it's a little scavenger hunt to find it. But uh, hopefully that'll get ironed out with time, uh, just getting used to the system. But for the most part, I've been happy with the way uh, I've taken to learning Canvas, and my classmates have, especially given the rapid approach that was how fast we had to learn it and everyone did so for the most part i've been pleased we also have annie also from shawnee mission northwest hi i'm annie um, i'm a junior at northwest and so before the school year i did little to nothing to get ready for it um, I kind of just used all the moments i could for summer and so on wednesday the 9th i woke up at 7 a.m. I went onto Canvas and I was very pleased with how easy it was to access. For me, um, I really didn't have that much problem finding assignments, but for um, during classes, they would tell us where we would find it, so we would go through it all together with our teachers. So during our meeting, we could ask them, like, oh, okay, how do I find this? And they would tell us right then and there, and, it, and they wouldn't let us go without knowing where it was. Uh, which I was very happy about because I am very, very strict with communication. I love being able to communicate with teachers, and that's one thing I was very worried about for this year, just not being able to be in class with them. Um, but I absolutely love how Canvas is set up th with the inbox and with all the to-do lists and just um, how easy it is to access assignments through modules. And our teachers have really... Um, made it clear that instead of going to assignments, you go to modules, and it's just little things for Canvas that our teachers have pointed out to us. I've been very, very happy with how easy it is to access and just, yeah, just how easy it is, but yeah.
And um, also the screen that you guys are seeing on the left, there's ELA elementary version of like a homepage and on the right would be a high school version of a homepage just so you have an idea of, I mean, there's been so much work that's gone into these teachers pages to make them user friendly for kids. Um, Molly Fast is here from Shawnee Mission South to share her experience the first week of school and, and what her thoughts are on Canvas. Hi, I'm Molly Fast. I teach math at Shawnee Mission South and I'm one of those teachers that probably a month ago was overwhelmed and scared and considering retirement <laughs> because, you know, I just had never worked with the LMS. I'd worked with Google Classroom, but mostly I just posted notes and communicated that way. I'd never worked with a system like this. But through the training, mostly um, my department, it was great. Everybody collaborated. We had a lot of people who really uh, had spent a lot of time over the summer with Canvas. So they were able to help me personally. And then that with the videos was amazing. So last week really went very well for me. I was super pleased. I only had a couple of like technology crashes where I think I have too much stuff going on. I would have my graphing calculator, my notebook. I was connected with my iPad. I was writing. I had my WebEx going, my Canvas. And every now and then everything would freeze. And uh, the kids could hear me. So I was like, please don't leave. I'll be back. And I would just shut down and come back. And they would all still be there. So that was really nice. But um, they love seeing each other. Like the um, student mentioned from Northwest. I start the class with my Webex, and once they're all there, I'm able to move them to a second monitor, which I'd never used two monitors before, so I feel pretty, pretty savvy. But um, I'd move them to the second monitor. I could see my whole class. I've encouraged them. I tell them I appreciate them leaving the video on. They don't have to leave the video on, but it's so nice to see each other. And so the majority of them leave the video on, and they really do like interacting with each other. And then I'm able to teach and share my screen, and I showed them around my Canvas. I have a home page that actually the AP Stats, when you're seeing, she helped me with my homepage, so it looks really similar. But where we have buttons that students can easily just click on to the WebEx meeting, they're right into the meeting, they can click on current unit, they can see the assignments. The students are finding it really easy to navigate. But I had a really successful first week, and a month ago I, I would have sworn that I was not going to have a good week, and so I'm, I think it's really been a wonderful thing. I think the situation we're in, that this is probably the best um, LMS we could have chosen. Because I'm a parent too, I have a sophomore. So I have Canvas on my phone and I'm able to check and see what she has going on and what's due and different things. So I, I really think it's been a, a great, great thing. So thank you. And then we have Sherry Easley. She's a kindergarten teacher at Brookridge. Hi, um, Sherry Easley at Brookridge. Um, I'm saying this, I been teaching 36 years so this computer wasn't even around a long long time ago um, my first computer was after I got my first job so I was scared to death okay um, I have my work daughters who are younger than my children and they said they take care of me but I was really pleased at how fast I caught on because I ended up teaching my work children some things so with that said um, it's a lot easier than what I really thought to begin with. And for years, I would tell my children, all you have to do is your best and try and try and try again. Well, that is something that I really took to heart this year and um, worked really hard. And I am so pleased my first day with my kiddos, um, all of them were able to get on WebEx. Um, my homepage is, looks like a kindergarten homepage. And it has circles with all the times they were supposed to get on WebEx. All they had to do was click on it. They all showed up. Um, so from a 
parent standpoint, I also had a lot of parents that told me it was very easy for them to do it. My hope is that the children um, will be able to do it without their parents standing by them, being that they're five and six years old. And I really, I didn't see too many parents in the background today. So I think the parents are becoming more comfortable. I'm becoming more comfortable. I keep going back. I spent like two hours tonight playing with it because I'm having fun with it. Um, so I'm very pleased with the way that um, Canvas is allowing the students and us as teachers to um, teach the kids. And I like, like I said, the links between the WebEx and Skyward and all of that links up really well. Thank you. And um, I've invited Dustin Jameson from Shawnee Mission North to come up because we've worked really closely for the rollout in his building. Um, I'm housed at South, so I'm on WebEx and phone calls with all the high schools and middle schools pretty much regularly. But Dustin um, has my cell phone number, so we got to be pretty good friends as things rolled out there, and he had a big leadership role in that. So I'd like for him to share how that went at North. Good evening. My name is Dustin Jameson, Associate Principal at Shawnee Mission North High School. And yes, Lindsay and I are best friends now, although tonight was the first night I've actually met her in person. So um, we became best friends. So one thing that I'd like to reiterate is just how hard our teachers have worked the last three weeks. Um, from that first day when they were back, there was literal shock, I think, with some of them. They were frozen not only to the big job that they had ahead, but also that they hadn't been in school physically for since last March. So there was some of that just physical shock as well. But the progress that they've made over the last three weeks is unbelievable. Um, they have, one thing that we stress at North is collaboration and sharing. You cannot do this alone. And so through this bit of huge job that they have to do. I think as a staff, this has brought us together just because of the adversity and the uphill climb that they all had to face together. We have um, special ed teachers helping math teachers and social studies teachers helping, you know, science teachers. So, um, and not only in our building, they're reaching out to other buildings as well. So we're really all in this together. Um, so it's, it's just kind of a, a, a cool thing to see Kind of setting back, but I'm in it as well, to see the progression over just three weeks of time, how, how far we've grown. Um, so I'd like to stress that. Um, and then also I'd like to stress how, how well the support at the district level has been. Again, Lindsay and I are on, you know, at least once, twice a day. I'm emailing her or calling her or texting her. And then also um, with Mr. Grumman, uh, I called him at 4.30 on a Friday a couple Fridays ago, and I said, I messed up. I cross-listed, you know, it's putting classes together. And he helped me through it, and we walked through it together. So, again, I just want to reiterate the support that not only the board has, but the district level, and then, and then how well the teachers are doing as well. So, thank you. Um, and then, did you guys have any questions for us about Canvas before... Like that's kind of all. I think that's everyone we invite. I don't think we left anybody out. So. We'll have a for okay, at the end. Okay. So just real quickly, as we close up the learning, I just want to do a special thank you to this Canvas team that have worked relentless hours all summer long. Um, Dr. Grumman didn't speak tonight, but he um, he has really been the organizer and the leader of of this group and ensuring that we got it off the ground and. Um, 
I, I, it would be unfair to say that this has been easy for teachers because we, we recognize that it hasn't been necessarily easy. There's been a lot of stress and tears and tears and probably some more tears, but um, they've embraced it. And I, I think you see that here with the, the teachers that we have here. I'm sure there are some that wouldn't say exactly the same as the, the two we had in the room tonight, but um, I do feel like uh, we're, we're getting a lot of... Um, great results out of Canvas. I know as a parent, it's been amazing to be able to find everything in one spot, so I can speak from that aspect too, but um, that wouldn't have happened without this great team behind, sitting here behind me, so I just want a special thank you to them. Okay, and now uh, Dr. Atha is gonna lead us with an overview of operations. Good evening, everyone. Um, you know, just like there are many facets to the learning side of the district, there are many facets to the operations side as well. Uh, this evening we have two brief reports uh, for you out of two different departments that represent operations. The first report will come from technology. Uh, Drew Lane, uh, Executive Director of ICT, is here this evening. And he's going to talk to you about the Khajiit smart spots that we're putting in place, as well as our new filtering system that we are implementing called Lightspeed. After Mr. Lane, uh, Mr. Bob Robinson, Executive Director of Facilities, will give an update on uh, the HVAC and filtration systems that we're that we put into place that, as you know, you've approved uh, um, uh, and uh, funded for many of these filtering updates. So with that said, uh, Mr. Lane. Dr. Ethan. So based on experiences we had in uh, the fourth quarter of the school year, recognizing there were some additional needs out there around things, the technology department really zeroed in on connectivity as a primary concern for the start of this school year. Obviously, there are a lot of other things that go on behind the scenes, but many, many of those things, especially in the current environment, do depend on connectivity. And so that's kind of what I, I picked out here this evening to share were the two areas uh, that concern connectivity that seem to be at the front of, of everyone's mind and uh, provide some information on those. The Khajiit smart spots, as you'll recall, are the cellular hotspots that the district purchased and then uh, have been checking out to families with a need for home connectivity. Uh, Dr. Ziegler has been a fundamental part of that. It would be remiss of me to not recognize that she has done uh, uh, a yeoman's level of work on, on the side of the student support. And so um, out of the 500 devices that we have out there, we currently have 130 checked out. And she has done a tremendous amount of work on going back and checking with building admins and those types of things and families to make sure that uh, their, their needs are, are, are met with those. On my side of the fence then, we also make sure that the devices uh, are provisioned and working and that when an issue comes up with the device, and, and, and honestly, knock on wood at this point, we, we think we have one that has had an issue at this point. Um, not, not bad, one out, of, one out of 500 so far is, is pretty good percentage. Um, but we do make sure those are, those are addressed as quickly as we possibly can work with families and buildings to make sure that they have a, a clear and, and precise connection to us to get support on those. Um, 
the the only kind of big issue that came up with the hotspots early on, and I, the only reason I bring this up is to kind of showcase the support we received from the vendor, was that um, the the is, as you recall, these hotspots do have their own content filtering on them in addition to what we provide, and their content filtering was actually blocking WebEx, and. Uh, could be an issue for those kids uh, that, that need to see other kids and their teachers. Um, it was it was a matter of uh, single-digit hours from the time we figured out that that's what was going on to when it was actually fixed. Um, I, I actually had sent Dr. Atha an email that said, hey, we have this problem, and if I had waited about 30 minutes, I probably would have never had to send in the email. It was that it was that quickly resolved. So we've been very pleased with the results we've uh, had with, with the hotspots. Down under support and resources, I think the other thing that is probably at the front of everyone's mind were the issues that we had fourth quarter around uh, VPN. I'm happy to report that 99.9% uh, .9 of those issues were, were avoided. Uh, we did not have nearly the level of connectivity issues uh, that we had in the spring. Uh, Lightspeed has been a very good, uh, very good for us in that department. We've had some issues here and there. But honestly, these are issues that we would see at the beginning of every school year with students who would have connectivity issues when they went home. And so honestly, load-wise, we haven't seen many more of those kinds of connectivity issues than we would anticipate in a quote-unquote normal school year. And I think that's some very good news because there was, there was quite a bit of work over a, a quite a, a long period of time to get us to the point where we, we chose Lightspeed as the vendor. And then one other thing... Um, that I wanted to mention here is that uh, we have somewhat modified our support model to try to fit the, the needs of the current environment, and that is in, in addition to our help desk and, and, our, and our ticketing system, which are still the fundamental components, we have additional, we've opened up additional collaborative spaces in WebEx Teams for, for people to go and post, hey, I'm having this issue, is anybody else seeing this, and kind of crowdsourcing some of those solutions. And we're noticing some significant drops in time for getting people's problems fixed because they're fixing them themselves or they're crowdsourcing the fixes themselves. Those that pop into those spaces that we can't kind of crowdsource fix, we do ask people to put tickets in so that we don't shortcut anyone in line in front of those folks who have a legitimate issue and are already in line. So, you know, you don't get the VIP ticket at Disney World and get to, to get to cut to the front of the line, but we do try to cut down on the number of tickets or times you have to stand in that line. And that is essentially what I have for this evening, Dr. Atha. Thank you. Uh, Madam Chairman, members of the board, uh, like Michelle, I'm just kind of here to introduce uh, Tyler Club, who's going to give the report tonight. Tyler, you could come forward. <coughs> Will, thanks, Bob. Uh, Tyler Club, Director of Facilities. So, Three key points I want to talk about tonight, HVAC and the filtration updates. So all MERV 11 filters have been received. They are currently being installed, delivered throughout the entire district. All nurses in isolation rooms, the HEPA air scrubbers, it is completed. Choir and band rooms, all HEPA air filtration has been installed and it's completed. <coughs> The current building operation and schedules for the HVAC. With the current operation, we are unfortunately seeing a rise in indoor air humidity readings. This operation 
how it's currently ran does not give us the full control to monitor, to adjust any type of humidity settings that we need to. <clears throat> if, if this continues with, with like last week's weather, uh, we could see a future uh, mold humidity concern inside our buildings. <clears throat> the good news um, in conversations with Luke Gard, our district consultant with Children's Mercy, changes to the ASHRAE guidelines have occurred since I've last reported to you. ASHRAE is now recommending to only operate the HVAC equipment continuously for the first two weeks. Once we get through the, the reopening of the buildings, um, we no longer need to do that. They're saying two hours before and two hours after the building's occupancy, the units can be unoccupied. So with that, do we have any questions? Or do we want to do that now? All right, thanks. Hey, thank you. Next, I'm going to have uh, uh, an overview of uh, human resources. So I have uh, Dr. Mike Schumacher come up and present that. Before he does, I want to just emphasize something. And that is, I appreciate all the great work that our staff have done to make sure that school got up and running, from operations to learning. They've done remarkable work in what is, has to be one of the most complex years that we've ever faced as a school district and really as a nation in public schools. Getting Canvas up and running and having the ability to, to do remote learning effectively from day one is, was a huge lift. And it's remarkable to go into classrooms and see the kinds of engagement from kindergarten on up that teachers are having with their students. And yet we also know, and we've heard this a lot, is that we absolutely want to see our learners. So we're going to work hard to try to uh, do that in, in the best way that we can while keeping people safe. We've gone through, at the elementary level, uh, a difficult last week. You know, when we started this off, we started remote, and we wanted to start off uh, in a way that we could ensure that we could bring students in safely. Um, there was concern about whether or not parents really uh, had the choice that they really wanted for the year. And so when we went back and uh, said, okay, we need to get students into in-person learning, we felt it only fair that we'd be able to ask parents what they would like to do, given the fact that they had additional information to work with. And so we did. When we went through and uh, completed that process today, here's resoundingly what we heard from parents. There is high interest among a number of our remote learners to come back into in-class instruction for the remainder of the year. Um, there are also a number of learners who, are, who were signed up to be in-class who would prefer to do remote learning. Now, a week of school is not a long time to understand exactly what mode you might like, but it is long enough to understand that the remote learning that we're doing right now this year looks nothing like the remote learning that we did last year, last spring. It is intense, 
It is every day. The teachers and students and parents are doing a great job. But it requires a tremendous commitment on the part of our parents especially. So in posing the question, it allowed parents to evaluate what avenue of learning they felt was best for them. Dr. Schumacher will come up and give an overview of, his, of what we've learned as we've done that survey, talk about the timeline, and also add some comments about secondary. But I do want to say this. It is very unusual to be doing this at this point in the year. It is disruptive. We understand that. But we also know this, that we want to make sure that we're prepared for the entire school year. And this will allow us to make some adjustments to make sure that that happens with as least disruption as possible. And we will not have to make this same kind of major change at the semester level for our elementary students, which we feel is really, really important. There will be an opportunity should parents want to make a change at the semester level, but that will be uh, as space is available for their selection. We'll do the very best we can to meet their needs, and I think that's all laid out for them in our FAQ. So with that, Mike, why don't you come on up and give an overview of where we're at. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to provide a really quick uh, update on the timeline, something that we've all seen that was published last week. And so this is just going to kind of serve as a talking point for me and to also provide you an update on the process that we're going to go through in implementing this timeline. So just to begin with, um, as early as the beginning of last week, we started the conversation about how this is going to look. Um, it's no... Um, no um, um, uh, hidden hidden uh, um, idea that I, I don't have a ton of experience with elementary, and so I'm leaning on uh, Kevin Hansford, uh, my, my partner in crime, in designing this process, and we started that process uh, last week and looking at all those contingencies. Um, as you also know, um, the deadline for, for parents to submit their uh, choices was 4 o'clock today, so a couple hours ago, and Kevin and I have uh, taken a look at those numbers, and as Dr. Fulton also indicated, um, many of our Shawnee Mission families have indicated an, a desire to change. And so uh, just to give you some really preliminary numbers, uh, what we're looking at, um, and there still needs to be some cleanup, a couple other uh, contingencies there, um, 296 students have told us that they want to move from remote to in-person. Excuse me, in-person to remote. Big change. Um, 1,385 students want to move from remote to in-person. I don't know what we predicted. Um, it wasn't that. Um, so there, that's, that's quite a bit, okay? And so we have begun planning, as I mentioned last week. We started that planning process last Thursday. We met again this, uh, today, this afternoon and started to plan what that's going to look like. Um, I will tell you that, that this clearly presents some challenges on an administrative level um, as at an adult level, but that's what they are. They're challenges, ones that we will work through and ones that we will solve. Um, I think what this speaks to, and I think Dr. Fulton alluded to this as well, 
is that there's a reason we're doing this. There's cl clearly a defined need. Um, this is what our students want. It's what our parents, uh, excuse me, what our, our students need and what our parents want. And so we're going to find a way uh, to make sure that this works uh, in this timeline. Um, so behind the scenes, um, next step is data entry. So we've got about 1,700 students whose choices need to be amended within our system. And so that will be the first step that will begin tomorrow. As Kevin is cleaning up that data, uh, we'll have staff members start to change uh, those elections uh, in our student management system uh, and all of the other places that those need to take place. Uh, Kevin will begin that staffing model um, and um, try to determine what changes need to be made from our remote program into our in-person programs at our local buildings. Um, as you can predict, there's gonna be some changes. There's, there's gonna have to be some changes that are gonna be made. Next step would be moving students. And again, we will make every attempt to keep students within their cohorts, <clears throat> within their um, school, and within their feeder pattern. Um, and then, you know, the, the next step is clearly we need to work with our teachers. Uh, we need to allow teachers time to do some prep and some planning and some transitioning. Um, and we're working on those processes and making sure that we can provide teachers those supports uh, in doing that. And just, you know, one last thing um, on that elementary timeline. You know, this, this is completely new. Again, Dr. Fulton alluded to this as well. Now, this is not something that in my 23 years of, of education that I, I would have ever thought we'd have planned for, uh, changing, you know, staffing once the school year has started. But again, it's what our kids need and what our community wants, and we're going we're gonna to get it done. Um, finally, just a couple thank yous. Um, you know, the elementary uh, schools, uh, the teachers, the principals, the support staff who put these plans into place and who are going to partner with us again in, in building these new plans. Just a huge thank you to them. And just a quick mention of the secondary schools. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned in this forum before, uh, our counselors, our principals at the, at the secondary level, the lift that they made in building two master schedules, accounting for in-person and remote, the complete catalog, uh, Canvas, um, the hybrid schedule, and to get this school year started off in such a positive fashion um, is a testament to the work that they did. And so just a huge thank you to them as well. So that is my quick update. Um, and I'll stand for questions here at the end. Okay, with that, we'll be happy to respond to questions. I'll bring up team members as questions are posed. Okay, um, I feel like I always start with you, Ms. Borgman, so I'm going to start with Ms. Hembree tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead, Jessica. So exciting. Um, I'm, I have just some questions about Canvas that occurred to me. Um, now that we're in school and so much of what I, I think public comment has been about how much kids are missing that social interaction with each other, does Canvas have opportunities, especially at the secondary level, for kids who are doing projects together or group work together to use Canvas to interact in any way? I know that in um, WebEx, some of the teachers are doing WebEx teams where they're able to create different groups where they have students working together. And I also know that WebEx is supposed to be updated pretty soon as of next week where they will have breakout rooms like Zoom did. We don't have breakout rooms currently, but um, they're supposed to they're supposed to make an update to WebEx. So we will be able to have the breakout rooms and do things that way. But I don't, I don't know if anyone here works with WebEx teams. Um, 
and and, the, and along the canvas question as well, you can um, create customized groups, study groups, things like that within the canvas system as well. So both of those actually accommodate um, small group projects, small group discussions, and uh, all all of those sort of um, uh, flexibility things that need to happen within the classroom. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. I guess my question would be, we're not going to be reaching out to anyone we didn't hear from elementary parents on their selection, because they had until today at four to do it, but then you offered the flexibility last Friday, being able to, uh, uh, parents could make a choice in a month or two if they wanted to. Well, Can you just go over that again? Sure. So the selection that parents are making is for the year. That means we do not have to do this big change at the semester, which at the elementary especially is, is really important. They, for parents who would like, we have a number of parents that their life situation is such that they're just not sure what life's going to look like in January, February, and second semester. And so we do have a provision in place where if they would like to make a change, they have an opportunity to request that and then if they want in-person learning and there's availability at their home school at that grade level, great. If there's, if there's not, then we will work to get them placed in a school and we would go to the closest school to them and work our way out. That would be the, that would be the approach. If you go the other direction, then we would also work to get them into a remote-only classroom if they felt like that's what they needed. And so that's that's the uh, that's kind of the provision that we set up to try to accommodate uh, choice as best we can. You're welcome. Oh, and I have a follow-up to Ms. Goodburns. Um, so we had offered that choice to middle and high school families as well. That come the end of semester, they would have the opportunity to change their um, enrollment choice. And are we going to continue to allow that for the middle and high school families uh, when we get to the end of the semester, that if they're online and they want the opportunity to try and be in person or vice versa, uh, will they have the opportunity then to do so? They will in the semester is a natural breaking point, as you know, for secondary students. And so they will have an opportunity to make that change. We'll have to do that well in advance of setting up schedules for a second semester. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a question about um, the the proficiency scales. If I'm not sure who, um, yeah, Dr. Dennis, if that, if you could just speak a little bit more to that, and I think about that is, um, is that also kind of connected? Yeah, if you could just talk a little bit more what that looks like from a student perspective, and is that related to that idea of that critical feedback between students and teachers? Is right. that kind of connected? Yeah, I think it does. The, the proficiency scales are designed around the priority standards. So we take the standard and decide, what does this mean? If a student is, has mastered this, what does it look like? And then we develop backwards the skills that they need in order to get to that point. So the scale is a one to four scale where three is proficient on that standard. And then one is, is a baseline really the level two is you've made some progress and you have more skills, but you're not quite at that level where you've mastered the, the knowledge or skills you need to, to have mastered the standard. And then four is you have um, extra 
on top of what the expectation would be at that grade level. So and that could be that could be useful in communication, not only with students with your scoring here. Here are the skills that you've shown, and and this is the next step for you. So in planning your instruction, it also could be useful in communication with parents, for um, the the same kind of thing. Here's here's the next step. Here's what our our progress is uh, that we're mapping out for your student. Can I ask a follow up? Yeah. So is this so this is I'm assuming is kind of around whatever this might be math related or. Um, science related right and is that something that we have in the elementary schools or is it something we're, we're trying to expand yeah, to higher grade levels we're farther along at the elementary level for each content area ELA math um, all of the core and then quite a few of the electives there are eight standards per grade level that have identified as priority so we'll have proficiency scales around those and then secondary is about a year behind but we're at the point now where I think all of the core have those as well, and where um, the standards have been identified, the, the proficiency scales have been developed, and they're really kind of in a pilot stage at this okay. point. Thank you. Well, I appreciate everyone being here today, and since we have a couple of students here uh, sitting so patiently through this rather lengthy presentation, I'll ask a question, if you don't mind, of the young man in the front here. Um, one of the things that we heard quite a bit as we made that abrupt transition last spring to, to remote, and then now what you've experienced so far a week or so in, my concern has always been about maintaining student engagement. Um, it really sounded like it slipped a lot last spring. Based on your experience up to this point, what would you see as the maintaining the student engagement, meaning is the Canvas the tool that's gonna be able to keep that? Is the integration with WebEx, is it all the work that the teachers have done behind the scenes? From your honest perspective, are we there and what else can we do to maintain student engagement as we continue to move through this process of delivering education? Yeah, uh, I think we're working towards it and I think what's really driving it is the teacher's motivation. Like I see it every time I get out of the classroom, like they're happy to see each and every one of us join. And uh, the WebEx has been really helpful just being able to see your teachers, seeing your students. Uh, the teachers seeing their students. Um, I th there's still some ways to go, like some clubs, some extracurriculars. They're having trouble getting off the ground without in person, without being able to meet in person. Uh, because like a year or two ago, the Shawnee Mission North Coast, we had so many different clubs, like a Chick-fil-A club, a Croc club, like just those like fun clubs that people go to. And I think that's kind of been lost in this transition. Uh, like I'm in student council and student council is still going strong, but that's one of like the main big clubs at the school. And I think like the smaller ones that students really enjoy because they can have a lot of fun with them and have fun with their friends. I think that's something that is kind of slipping with okay. the online learning and uh, the Canvas. Okay. And do you feel like you can engage with your teacher as well as your classmates as in this environment? Uh, I do think I, I can engage with my teachers well and I can engage with my classmates um, a lot of people, I'll say a lot of people do stay on mute for a lot of the time, but uh, the teachers do a good job of getting the students involved, and uh, we can still have class discussions uh, kind of similar as to we would do in person. Thank you very much. I appreciate your coming tonight and, and sharing your perspective. It's very helpful to us. You're welcome. And, and let the record reflect that if they need a sponsor for the Chick-fil-A Club, I'd be glad to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I have a question for Mr. Lane about the smart spots. I I am surprised that there were only 130 requests 
Were you surprised by that? Are we sure that there aren't kids who have been unable to connect so far this school year? I know you said you're working with administrators on that. I think we're still sorting that out. Um, matter of fact, uh, Dr. Ziegler had sent me a text here just a few seconds ago said that uh, in the meeting we've had five more requests come in. So I, I don't think we're to the end of it yet. Okay. I, I really don't. Um, we're hopeful that the 500 was a representative number so that we won't end up short. Uh, but we're also working on some, some stuff behind the scenes for data that will help us plot distribution and, and help us kind of locate where we saw those needs that might be helpful information for us down the road as well. So um, maybe a bit more lengthy answer to the question that you asked, but uh, I, I don't think we're to the end yet of seeing those applications come in, no. Okay, and I just want to clarify, I know in the spring, um, if a family couldn't connect at home for whatever reason, they could go to the parking lot of a school. And is that still an option for families if they can't connect at home for whatever reason? It, it certainly is. As a matter of fact, we did a little bit of adjustment to make some areas of, of uh, especially our feeder pattern middle schools and high schools uh, have stronger signal outside the building. That's mostly for service calls. So if, if we have to say, well, the only way this gets fixed is if you come get on the district network, those places have been enhanced a little bit. But certainly if, if you're out of options, if uh, you could go there, get on the network there and uh, complete an assignment or something like that, kind of hard to ask people to sit up in the rain or the cold or whatever. But yes, that would be a, you know, a, a final a final uh, possibility. Right, because in the spring there weren't libraries open or no, nothing else was open, but now they have Starbucks and other places they could. Right, right, well. yeah, and there, there are, you're, you're correct, there. there are other options out there, but we did not eliminate those options for us, for people okay. to get on a campus network. All right, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for the update. It was wonderful to hear. Um, first and foremost to the students, thank you, Callan, and also to Annie who spoke and I think is gone. I know tonight uh, is Annie's mom's birthday, and so for her to be here tonight on her mom's birthday was just wonderful that she would take time out of a, a big family day to present to the board. So thank you, and happy birthday, Annie's mom. Um, teachers, I appreciate your candid feedback uh, because I know that it was a rough start. So um, thank you for being honest with us about that and how you have overcome that and just that you know, it's not as scary today as it was on day one and you've embraced it and you are really doing some neat things with that. So we, I really appreciate your your transparency. So thank you. Um, and then administrators, thank you for making Canvas happen at warp speed. Um, we really appreciate it. And thank you for all the work that you've done behind the scenes to make that happen. Um, I am curious from Oh, and I wanted to let you know, Mr. Stratton, that my daughter is in the Chick-fil-A club, so she'll be happy to hear that there's a sponsor. So um, I am curious from the, the special ed perspective, just the reopening and how it's gone for, for our SPED students, and um, if we could just hear kind of a brief update on kiddos in that category. Hello, everyone. So um, we absolutely... Um, have had students on site and off site receiving services, a, a combination of both. And so um, we've had some limitations with transportation, which we've worked out some kinks in terms of getting some shuttles and things um, scheduled for students. Obviously with special education students being the only students in the building right now, creates some different opportunities for peer interactions. Um, but our teams have been working 
diligently to find ways to make those meaningful connections, I think. Um, services started off, um, I think in most, if not all of our buildings last week. And um, again, we've I could get the exact numbers, but we've had, every site has um, at least a few students on site receiving some services. May not be full day services, may not be five days a week. Um, could be speech only services who would be coming on site um, or it could be some motor services so where they're coming up to receive some physical therapy, occupational therapy um, and things of that nature. So some of the other adjustments from a special education perspective is there was um, some questions as it related to if special educations have had access to Canvas, and they do. Um, and so some questions, which I think we've worked out the kinks with Dr. Grumman and Dr. Dennis in regards to how we can make those connections um, with building rosters within Skyward for special education staff to then link it directly to Canvas. And then there's also some varied level of access. So whether that be, um, a special education teacher could still support as a co-teacher within a general education teacher's Canvas course as well. Um, and then there's some varying levels that would go um, under that umbrella as well. In addition, um, para-educators also have devices as well. And so we have had, we have had a few hiccups with getting connectivity, um, getting um, things downloaded appropriately. Sometimes, um, you know, individually I do the same thing is that I assume that I know what the directions are and so I proceed with the steps as I assume they should be um, and I, I likely missed something along the way. And so when we've gone back and kind of retraced steps, we were able to get connectivity to WebEx, connectivity to um, Canvas. Paraeducators are set up in Canvas to be, um, if they're not set up yet, they're in the process of being set up to be what's classified in Canvas language as a TA, a teacher's assistant. Um, so they have access to, um, you know, viewing information. They can see what students see. Uh, they can work to uh, specifically the groups that were discussed earlier. I think someone over here asked a question about groups. Um, they would have the capacity to um, engage in that capacity as well. Okay. So. Thank you. Um, yep. I, <clears throat> I know just for my kids, it's easy to kind of hide in WebEx um, and the WebEx meetings. And um, and so I guess it's, ha I'm happy to hear that, you know, we have eyes on these kids. And so um, I guess my challenge is just, you know, for all of us, for, for teachers, for, for um, teacher's aides, to the kids um, who have special education needs um, or for the kids that maybe just a little bit more quiet just to continue to really challenge those kids to bring them in to engage them because um, I know firsthand that you know it's it's easy to hide in Webex yeah. so and so one of the things that we've actually talked to our <clears throat> providers about in is the um, you know when I'm in a live classroom and I am able to interact fluidly with students I can see when they have the puzzled look on their face via a Webex capacity that presents some challenges in regards to, are you really confused, is the computer glitching, or um, or are you just, um, you know, kind of having a, a mental moment to take a break from the instruction? And so one of the things that we've really encouraged our providers to consider is having a touch point either 
prior to the instruction or post instruction so you can have that live dialogue so maybe in a small breakout group um, that way <clears throat> again it's just not something that we can replicate um, via a webex capacity so we've created some workarounds to be able to address those things thank you i mm -hmm. appreciate that um, I would like to know a little bit more about light speed and what kind of parental controls are available. I am definitely finding my own kids since they have the iPad at home and they've just spent the time on it. It's a little harder to wrestle it away from them at the end of the school day. So one of the things that we heard very clearly from parents when we went through the selection process was things around the parental controls. The parental controls that are available in Lightspeed really focus around more of things that you can do on your home router to change the content that does and doesn't come through that way. So we've essentially set Lightspeed up to be kind of the baseline. SIPA compliant, uh, I, would, I would say as a district and as a community, SIPA compliance is kind of SIPA compliance plus. That tends to be the, the expectation from our community. So we do have, we do have Lightspeed uh, uh, I guess what you want to say turned up or cranked down, I'm not sure which way you want to put that, but it's probably a, it probably filters a little bit more conservatively than, than maybe other school districts in the immediate area. That being said then, uh, parents at home can use the controls on their home router or whatever to, to set that as well. One thing that we have not had a chance yet to circle back on yet uh, because it was in very early development, it was out of development, it was in very early deployment, was the, the parent portal. And so that is, that is coming back around to us to investigate, to look and see what does that look like with Lightspeed? What are some, what are some things that will be available there? Um, I, I don't have anything definitive to report out this evening on that, but that is something that's on our radar to come back around to as we get through the second, third week of school and start looking at because we anticipate that'll be about the time where all of the new will have been rubbed off of this mm -hmm. and people will kind of go back to, okay, now, now, now I can do school this way. So, what, what are what's what are some other things I can do? And um, we anticipate that coming back around. There are some reports and those types of things that also should be uh, available to parents out of Lightspeed. And those are also things that we're looking at. You know, when, what's a good launch date? Um, part of it's a communication piece. We recognize that, that families right now are receiving a tremendous volume of communication. And we don't want something like that to get lost in the in the uh, the gale, and so uh, again, we'll we're going to strategically communicate those things out as well. So, uh, Lightspeed currently, as it's configured, uh, content filters fairly conservatively. Parents, because it is not VPN based or anything like that, parents can use families can use their home router settings mm -hmm. to add additional controls. We are going to be looking at that parent portal and seeing what we can do with it, and when it when when we're confident that it is truly development, or excuse me, deployment ready. And then also uh, as a part of that, looking at those parent reports that uh, we can start sending out in the very near future. Yeah, I, th I think the thing I hear elementary parents at least talk about the most is like, when your kid's supposed to be having recess, remote recess, like you actually want their device to not work for that 30 minute stretch of time. So they're not spending not only all their WebEx lives, but also their recess in front of it. So if the parent portal would help get us to that spot, I think parents would really appreciate some of that. Certainly. Dr. Fulton, I have a question. I'm not sure who would address it. This may be kind of off topic from what we're talking about tonight, but September is typically our count date, you know, for, for students for enrollment. I'm just wondering what, what's been done with that. If the, is the time frame the same? Has it been changed since we all started school three weeks later? 
or we, yeah. we started school three three weeks later. And then what we're doing like to make sure that we're not leaving any kids behind, that maybe we're on our rolls, you know, in the spring and we haven't seen them in the fall. Who is responsible for reaching out to seeing if those, just to make sure that, you know, we have all, all of our kiddos and we're, we know where they've gone, if they, they're not with us, where they are, or what's going on with that, so. Great question. Um, big picture is the last Wednesday in September. And so, you know, that's important to make sure that we're reaching out to all of our learners during that period of time. I'm going to have Dr. Atha add additional specific information to that. We're still responsible for the September 20th count as we always have been. Um, it may be look a little bit different. Uh, we've gained more information from KSDE this year, uh, just recently, of kind of what that looks like and how we're counting students this year. I won't get more specific in that. I will just simply say that we, we are still responsible for the count this year. So are we reaching out to, if we haven't seen a student, like if a teacher hasn't seen a student, in a, so who's responsible for doing that? Is it school secretaries? Are they doing that kind of that call out, trying to find out principals? I don't know who's doing that work. Sure, typically you'd have the principal, the school secretary, teachers potentially involved in reaching out to students that we haven't been able to contact. Social workers may also get involved in that. Dr. Ath, I don't know if you want to add to this at all. I think, yeah, we're making every effort to, to track our students and probably begins primarily with that, that uh, school secretary um, along with the principal in our elementaries and, you know, our counselors, social workers, so on and so forth. So it's something that we really do pay attention to, obviously, because it is our funding stream. Right. Thank you. As well as we want to know where our students right, are. Right, exactly. Yeah. More than a funding stream. Well, I, so. I, I was thinking about it when you were talking about the Khajiit hotspots, and that might be an issue for that someone just doesn't know how to reach out, doesn't know that we, we could provide that, and so they don't know that they have, you know, they don't have connectivity and they need it. So that's, that's why I thought about it anyway. No, that's exactly right. That's good. I have a couple questions for Shelby. Um, I know during your presentation we were talking about the differences between three feet and six feet and that the Johnson County um, Department of Health and Environment had indicated that uh, six feet was the desired amount, but when six feet is not possible, um, three, feet of different, three feet of distance should be maintained. And the, the slide said should, and the word you used was shall. And so I think that there's a, I, I want to, my ear caught that and I want clarification. Is it there should be three feet of distance or is it there shall be three feet of distance? But I'm gonna say both. There should be, <laughs> and I think we've heard um, that we are going to instruct our teachers there shall be. If we cannot maintain what the county health department has told us is the minimum which distance, is, which is six, which is the three feet, which is th three feet, then we're going to have to look at some alternatives using different spaces, staggering attendance, you know, whatever, whatever that needs to look like. Okay. That's what we're saying right now. So if we can do six feet, we, we do Absolutely. six feet. If we are unable logistically to do six feet, we have to, at a minimum, have the three feet and that three feet barrier is a cutoff. To, to find a different way to do something. Correct, and as with everything, 
that guidance could change over time. Maybe right. as they collect data in schools, they find out that the masking is really the key and it's not so much the distance. And so, um, you know, they might take that away at some point. But for right now, that's where we're at. I mean, I can watch it just with adults here in this room. We, we do it, we lean in just to clarify something. We, it's still part of our, we haven't changed all of our behaviors yet. Um, and even just modeling that, I need to be aware, you know, okay, if I go to whisper to Mary, <laughs> I'm going to try and keep the three feet between us. Um, but remember, it does need to be for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. Sometimes I whisper for a long time. Um, <laughs> my other question um, related to, to these um, restrictions is that if we hit 15% and are in the black, I know we have the goal of reopening for all in elementary on October 19th, but when we hit 15% right now, the way the Keating criteria is set up, um, then we're all remote. Even if we've put on a calendar, this is what we're doing, it's still within the guidelines of what JCDHE has put out. So when we hit 15% um, at this moment, now if, there, if we end up with a good testing program where we have a access to significant tests that show statistically relevant information and that sort of thing, but where we're at right now, um, once we hit black, we're, we're back to remote for all students. Yes, and I, I, I want to make sure that people understand what we know today about testing, and that is that um, starting out, we would likely only have a few tests per school in Johnson County and that those tests would be used for symptomatic students or staff. So right before I send you home, I would say, hey, if you want to get a test here and sign this permission slip, then I can test, you know, and then in 24 to 48 hours guaranteed, we would know the result. Um, that's where we're at right now. And then also we have the option of testing in a cohort situation where we have two cases within one cohort. Um, so let's just use the football team example. We have two cases on a football team. Um, we could obtain enough tests to test the entire football team. In a, and and I, I use football team. I don't know. That's probably maybe too many people for the county. But two people in a cohort we could test in that type of situation and then the symptomatic people. But right now we do not have enough testing um, and it is not within our foreseeable future, short term, months, three, two to three months to have mass testing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Sinclair? I have more mask related kinds of questions. Um, so if I could, I'll just kind of continue with that. Um, so how, could you help me understand the, the, the idea about the mask and six feet? Is um, that goal that we have in, in implementing the um, safe opening principles and, you know, and principles to keep us open, those two together are actually kind of a double protection. Is that correct? Both the mask and the six feet? Yes. You have to remember nothing is perfect, mm -hmm. right? So the mask keeps my droplets close to me and your droplets close to you. And then that six feet of distance is even better because even if tiny little droplets escape from my mask, they hopefully could 
couldn't make it to you. So nothing is perfect, but um, someone described it one time as layering of slices of Swiss cheese. So here's your mask. It still has holes in it. It's not perfect, but layer on top of that six feet of distance, you're going to cover up some of those holes, right? And layer on top of that hand hygiene and um, those types of things. It's, it just makes it better and better. So if, if we're in the lunchroom and we're eating, that six feet is probably more important as I'm taking bites than if I'm in the classroom and I might happen to pass you three feet apart, but I still have my mask on or, I mean, yeah. just... The lunchroom is definitely a place where those um, kids are going to have their mask off the entire time they're eating. And so we want to make sure in the lunchroom that they maintain six feet of distance because Johnson County tells us that if you are um, unmasked within six feet for 10 minutes or more, and all of our lunch periods are longer than 10 minutes, you will quarantine if one of those kids tests positive, the, those people who are within six feet of that student. Okay, thank you. I have some other kind of mask-related mitigating, but more in athletics, but I can wait to circle back. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, if, if I may, since we have some teachers and students here that may want to go and do some other things, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if perhaps yeah. if you have any student or teacher questions, please feel free to ask them now and then, because we really appreciate you taking time to come tonight. Ms. Embry? It's not exactly Canvas related, so you, you guys might get to leave either way. Um, but I'm curious how our school social workers are interfacing with teachers and students in this particular time and climate, because it seems both all the more important than ever and also all the more difficult to do. Our social worker, um, I'm at Brookridge, she went ahead and put a site together and it's on the, my front page of Canvas. So kids can come to that. Plus, we've been told to contact her. She sends out, today it was an update for us about how we're doing. And then it, next day it might be something about how the kids are doing and making sure they're, they're, they're getting the food and everything. But she has a homepage that is on my campus. And at, um, at South today, we just received an email from our counseling department and social workers um, that actually went out to, uh, I believe, all the parents of any student, and I have a student there, just saying, hey, we're still here if you need us, um, all the different kind of mental health um, uh, places where they can get help but to reach out to them if there are any concerns. So I know that went out to the parents at our school today. And I had like an interest survey that I had students fill out, and there was a, a boy that um, it just, I was concerned by some of his responses, and I reached out to the social worker, and she's already talked to him today. So they're very involved still. Oh. I'll just add to you briefly that our social workers have been very much involved in supporting families as they have come back and transitioned. With the smart spot question, um, we're getting requests. Uh, our social workers are helping connect families with internet access as well as social emotional supports. Um, while we're sitting here tonight, we've had five more requests just in the last hour. So social workers are getting that information out. In addition to that, as we have students that are being placed into the school, uh, I oversee our foster students in the district. So in the last two and a half weeks, I've had social workers uh, sitting in on those placement meetings so that we have smooth transitions for our students that are coming in. So they are very much engaged in uh, supporting the teams and working with families and their needs. 
And then I would just um, add to that as part of our reopening plans and the social emotional learning piece of that, our teams um, brought up the fact that we wanted all of our schools to develop family, family liaison teams. And so the schools are working to set that up. Obviously the social workers are a key piece of that, but also what does it look like as a school? How do we respond when we have families in need or we have families that we're not making contact with or we have attendance concerns. And so that's another piece that our schools are working with right now and that we're working with our principals on as well. And then the proud principal of me wants to recognize my former student right here, Ray Marsh alumni. <laughs> are we Yeah, does anybody, around? well does anyone else have a follow-up question for the teachers or the students before they leave? Okay, Dr. Sinclair. Um, the the sense of urgency with each step we take in reopening schools, it's hard for any of us, parent, student, business owner, teacher, administrator, to um, to wait for the answer. It's hard because it's all very important. And so, from a teacher or student perspective, what other what other Issues do you see on the cusp? I don't know if this is even a fair question to ask, but that you might want to say, okay, hold on, just give us just give us a little bit more time to figure this out. And I don't know if it's responding to emails within 24 hours, that kind of thing. I think, um, Callan, you alluded to the fact that one of the things that might be nice is more of those club kinds of activities. But is there anything else? From a teacher-student perspective, that would be helpful to say, "Hang on, give us give us a little bit more time for this next issue on the horizon." Well, I know we're all trying to figure out the grading right now. I have students who submitted some assignments, and I'm trying to learn how to use the speed grader. It's called in Canvas, and then once I use that, I'm able to make comments. But I don't. I, I think I now know how to connect it to Skyward because Lindsay actually helped me today. But for parents to maybe be a little patient with. Um, grading uh, right away with Canvas Skyward, plus to know that the grade could be different in Canvas than it is in Skyward because you might have assignments you created in Canvas, but then other assignments that are in Skyward, like Skyward's the final word on a student's grade, but we're all just a little stressed right now about the grading piece of it, but we're, we're learning. So maybe patience would be good. Thank you for sharing that. Any, anything else? Um, well, I had a question for the educators. Um, I have a couple of friends who are educators, and they did say that the canvas, the initial canvas lift was a really heavy lift, um, that it was a rough, rough go from not having canvas to having canvas, and that there was concerns with all of the steps, even just to put like a Google Doc into canvas, um, because it had been predominantly used by higher education um, is my understanding, and that so it's maybe somewhat new for us here in K through 12. Um, I feel like I have kind of faith in the high school students to sort of navigate things. They already know everything about technology. I mean, no offense, but at 42, you guys know way more <laughs> than I do. Um, but for the younger kids, is this a platform that we think, I mean, is it, is it working for the younger kids? I know we have the kindergarten teacher here. I guess I'm leaning on you for all the um, I mean, my younger child is on it and seems to be doing fine, but, you know, again, I'm, I'd, I, I appreciate your perspective on this. Um, right now, we're doing really well because my whole goal was to get them on the WebEx meetings, 
-hmm. because with kindergarten I needed to see them, I needed to talk to them, I needed to find out that so-and-so likes monster trucks and dinosaurs and dragons. And um, we're just now getting into starting to teach our reading. Um, but right now, I, tonight I was making buttons so that they could go in and push where to get the Your Turn page and then I'm trying to figure out still how to get a PDF so that they can write on it. Mm -hmm. So it's just a process, but right now with kindergarten, it's um, so much of them seeing me and me talking to them that I think we're doing well. Um, but that's my next thing is to get the math and the reading up. And I don't know if I answered your question. You did. I, it's just a lot of colored buttons right, right now for them to hit. <laughs> There's a Go lot of buttons to hit. I guess I just I had some concerns in talking to some of our educators and instructional coaches during the first couple of weeks when they were doing all the rollout before the kids were even in the building and mm -hmm. just mastering all of that. Um, I had a friend who's been teaching for many years. I think she's a wonderful teacher. I'm pretty sure others who have had her think she's a wonderful teacher. And she said to me, I think one of the things that bothers me so much is that I've always felt intrinsically that I, I was very good at my job. I knew what I was doing. And right now... I feel like it's my first year of teaching, and so I'm I'm very unsettled because I don't have this I don't have the you know this long line of I don't know what I'm doing basically is what she said to me and and she is an excellent excellent teacher so for her to express that kind of just unease moving into the school year of being unsure me knowing that she's a fabulous teacher if that's where she's feeling then I think it's probably safe to say. A lot of people had those similar, like, how are we going to get our sea legs? How are we going to get through this? And based off of your feedback this evening, it sounds like you're finding sea legs. We still need, there's still a lot happening, but I'm, I'm feeling reassured by this. Um, but I don't want to miss something. If there's, when we first brought technology to the district, um, it was not necessarily something that everyone was excited about. In fact, there was a lot of pushback when the previous administration brought technology for everyone. And there was concerns that there was not enough um, training or support to get everybody up to speed with where they needed to be with a one-to-one -one initiative. One, I want to make sure that we are providing the training and support we need with Canvas and this really technology-reliant instructional delivery method so that we don't have that same concern or feeling that we somehow left some support unprovided. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. I, I think what's been crucial at our building is that we're, um, the team is so close. One person gets this, they share it with that. We have a Canvas um, oh, meetings. No, the other one. Anyway, the other Canvas want teams that we get on and like was said before, we'll figure things out. So I think we are staying ahead of the kids in primary, mm -hmm. but maybe we're, grow we're growing with them. Mm -hmm. But what they need right now, we're able to give them as, a, as my kindergarten team, but it takes all of us and our instructional coach. And we have the grace of our building and, and, um, and Misty that, our principal and Misty, that we can be frustrated. We can um, let it out and then come back and solve it, just like you would a child that was having problems. So we're, so we're getting the grace and communication that we need in our building, and I think that's the big thing, is we're giving it to our children and we're getting it as adults. So I think that's where my positive side comes from with this. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate mm -hmm. it.
And uh, from the student's perspective on that, mm -hmm. as a senior, I've had technology since seventh grade, so I'm pretty well versed in it. I was able to pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, but I have, I have siblings in middle school and elementary school, and especially my elementary school sibling, he's been having a bit of trouble, and it really frustrates him trying to troubleshoot it, especially because we have four people all learning uh, online in the house at the same time, everyone on the same Wi-Fi. Um, so just him, uh, as a fifth grader, it's not as easy for him to use, and especially because that's kind of the age where they're expected to be doing this stuff by themselves, and it's still kind of something that's foreign to them at this point. So uh, hopefully he can figure that out on his end and also uh, like support for pe uh, kids that will have trouble troubleshooting stuff on their own, especially in that age range where they're like, expected to do it on their own, but they might not have the tools or uh, knowledge to do it on their own. Thank you. Is there a WebEx button in Canvas that you can click through to tech support? You can post, oh, I don't know. I just have one, a button to get to my WebEx. But. Right, I just so, didn't know if there was one straight. So again, my name is Dustin Jamison, talking about secondary. But yes, there is a WebEx. Um, right now, our teachers have their link embedded into their homepage. But we're exploring what's called an LTI. It's um, different tools that you can integrate into WebEx. Um, Flipgrid is one. I don't know if you've heard of that, where the students can video themselves and then turn in uh, an audio and video of whatever the answer is instead of maybe written. So these LTIs, WebEx can be built into it, but it's one of those things that it's a step-by-step -step process. We didn't want to show the teachers fully how to do that because we ourselves didn't know how to do that or if it would even work at the beginning. So we didn't we didn't want it to crash and burn day one, week one. So we're kind of putting that on the back burner of, of having the WebEx built inside the Canvas. So, and to talk a little bit, I have a, a fifth grade son as well. And um, today, he was, that was the first day where he had really had issues with it. Um, he was kicked out of three of his four classes uh, when, his, when, the, when the kids, when the teacher was meeting. So I don't know um, if that's our connectivity issue or if it's a, an iPad issue or if it was just a today issue. Those are things that we're going to have to vet out, I think, over time. Um, so I don't, you know, I'm not here to paint this rosy picture like everything's good. We're, we're having YouTube issues um, with things being blocked that weren't blocked before. So there's a lot of things to still vet out, but we keep telling our teachers it's, it's not building it all in one day or three weeks. It's brick by brick we use at the brick house is that, you know, it's going to be a year-long process and maybe a two-year-long process till it's a seamless fit where we know what we're doing, um, you know, all day, every day. So it's definitely a process. Thank you. I appreciate yep. it. Yep. Are there, Ms. Borgman, you have a follow-up? Callan, I have a question for you. I know this is your senior year, and my heart goes out to you that, you know, this is what your senior year is starting off. Could you, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, so if you want to think about this and, and get back to, to us as, as the board, um, to try to make your senior year special, to provide some special senior moments for you all, some special experiences, have you at all thought about what that can look like or how we can support our seniors this year um, so they can have a year that, you know, while is challenging, is also special? Yeah. So uh, as a member of the student council, we, take, uh, we do a lot of that stuff too. Like we set up the homecoming dances, the camp food drives, 
events like that at our school that like really bring the school together and give you those experiences. And uh, Dr. Grumman, my principal, Dr. Grumman, uh, like a week or two ago, we were uh, in the school and we were talking about ways we could adapt those events so that they could still go on. If we could do a canned food drive and it could be a drive-through or if we could come to your door and pick up cans so that we could get those to families that need them. Um, other big, just trying to accommodate events so that they can, they can still happen, like those big senior events uh, so that the seniors could still uh, be under the Friday night's lights one last time. Or uh, we could still do a graduation in May if we're spaced out. Just finding ways to accommodate those events so they can still happen. Because no one's expecting them to go on as normal. It's no one's expectation that we'll have a 300 person student section. But still being able to have those events just safely is something that I think is important to the students. Yeah, agreed. Thank you for sharing that. and. As you and your your um, fellow students think about some more specifics as to what that looks like, you know, feel free to share that with Dr. Grumman, with the board, um, because, you know, that is our challenge is to to make this year special for you. And so, um, thank you for for being here and for speaking up and for sharing your ideas and thoughts and and helping us to remember how special that senior year is and. You know, it only happens once. So yeah. we got to make sure that we're doing everything we can, you know, to, to give you guys something to go out feeling good about. So thank yes, you. Thank you. I appreciate your dedication to that. Yeah, thank you. Um, if there aren't any, any further questions for our educators and students, you can make a break for it. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> thank you. Good call. I don't know where we were at in the order. Were we with Brad? Okay. Oh, okay, thank you, Mr. Stratton. Reverend Guy? Um, I have an HR question. Um, I know that initially when we were asking teachers and parents to decide whether they wanted remote or in-person, kind of the stars aligned and it kind of fit into the similar patterns, but I'm guessing now that with all of these additional students, it's not going to line up exactly. Um, do I guess I'm concerned about teachers that have a real health issue that they really need to be in remote. Do we have a, a way to prioritize those people? Um, I'm just curious about that whole process. Sure. Yeah, to, to your first point, um, we will make every effort to keep kids in their school and in their feeder pattern. You are correct. Um, it is going to present a challenge, but that will be our charge. Um, to your second point, uh, for those staff members who initially indicated through the preference sheet that they wanted to be remote, um, again, we, we will have that data uh, at hand and we will make those attempts. Secondly, uh, many of our staff, some of our staff have completed ADA forms uh, requesting specific accommodations based on health needs. And again, we will take those into consideration. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll take those into consideration. But as, as you can do the calculations, there's gonna be a number of staff members who may need to move from their current remote setting to in-person. But again, we will make every attempt to, to make those accommodations. A food services question for Ms. Kokenauer, and as you're walking up here, I just would like to make a comment, uh, Dr. Fulton. I love this this presentation today. 
Um, as we've heard from, as we heard in the listening session and just every public comment, mental health has gotten brought up. And so I think it would be worthwhile um, at another workshop in the near future to perhaps address social emotional learning, mental health. I know um, in another district they do Wellness Wednesday, so they have, you know, Wednesdays are really designated. I'm sure we do, you know, um, I know Ms. Lewis has spoken to, and also Dr. Ziegler have spoken to the great things that we're doing in our district as well. But I would really love to hear a more sort of in-depth you know, um, presentation as to what social emotional learning is looking like in this virtual setting. So if that's possible at some point, that would be great. Okay. And then Ms. Kokenauer, nice to see you. Thank you. Um, just wanting to check in with you about how food services is going and for um, families that are free or reduced lunches, can you talk to us and share with us how families are getting food and how how the school year has gone so far for those families. Well, we had a phenomenal um, report from USDA that they have granted us the ability to feed all children, whether they're remote learners or in-person learners, at no cost. <laughs> Remember, I spoke to that. No, thank you so much. And I pushed for it very hard. Thank you so now, much. Now, there's amazing. a caveat thank to that. You. Until the funding runs out. Who do we go to to yell at for that? Washington. <laughs> yes, ma'am. There is already a push from us food service people. We want it to go till June 30th. Okay, it makes no you. sense to stop it at Christmas when that is sometimes the worst time that we want it to go to the end of June. So people who are watching at home, they can reach out to their uh, United States uh, reps and yes. senators to mm -hmm. let them know that that is something that we, we need, here we in need the Shawnee it Mission to be School continued. To absolutely. Yes. Okay, thank they you. feel strongly that there should be money to go till the end of December, but that will be just a very hard time to explain to families why they were free and now they have to pay. So that's been our message to families currently. Please continue to apply for free and reduced lunch because if we had to flip the switch, we want them to be able to get those benefits at that point. So when we did flip the switch, um, I think I spoke the last time I was here, we tried an online digital ordering system that flopped, royally flopped. The parents struggled, we struggled, and I dumped it within a week. It just was horrible. So we're going back to the model, just like we did since March, that parents, if they would like to come pick up a meal, they can come pick up a meal. It's not a problem. And we've opened all 47 of our buildings. They can come to any facility and pick up their meals. We have asked that they provide us with our student ID number that ensures um, the... Um, What's the word? Accountability, for lack of a better word, for the federal government. And so the parents are providing that with no problem. The child does not have to be with us, with them in the car. We set the timeline from 7 to 9, thinking that parents could do that um, before their kids had to jump on the computer to learn and those kinds of things. We really tried to think those things through. Last Friday, um, we served 30... 3,281 students, which includes seven breakfasts and seven lunches for those students for a grand total of 45,934 meals were distributed by my staff Friday morning. Yes. So we know we had some hiccups last Friday. We are bumping up our numbers and we're already gearing up for this next Friday's um, distribution. So, 
Thank you. So distributions are only on Fridays. And we selected that thinking that when we go to hybrid, that is the one day that there's not a lot of congestion and drop off and you know, all those kinds of things. And that's why we did that on Fridays. And with the government stepping in, I should, I guess, take a step back. They allow us to serve seven meals because there's seven days in a week. So we're able to serve Saturday, Saturday, Sundays, and then Monday through Fridays. Wonderful. So we pack it, seven breakfasts and seven lunches, and they come in and get all of that. And the food is provided to them that has already been cooked and frozen. So they just take it home and stick it in the freezer. They can thaw it and put it in the microwave. Or if kids like cold pizza, they can eat cold pizza. That's great. So it's really whatever they want. And there's, yeah. I'm assuming... Good portion of fruits and veggies. There's fruits and veggies. We're so heavily regulated. There's no problem yeah, with that. Sure. Yes. Okay. Just wanted yes. my mom. Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> the one thing we've changed since this summer is we heard this summer that there was so much milk. Because think about yeah. you get seven cartons for breakfast and seven cartons for lunch. You've got three kids. You don't have refrigeration space. So we've made that change, allowing the parents, they can choose to take it or they can choose not to take it. And the federal government's okay with that. So we give them a bag. We've got a milk cooler right there when they pick it up. And we tell them you can have this much milk if you'd like or you don't have to take it. Thank you so much, Ms. Kokonar. Mm -hmm. Any questions other than? I have one follow-up on that, and I think I already know the answer, but I want you to answer it out loud so people can hear it for themselves. Is there a difference in the size of the meal that is provided at the high school buildings versus the size of the meal at the elementary buildings? Like, does it not in this program. There is not. Mm -hmm. and that's what I thought, but I wanted to right. make sure we heard right. that out loud. But I guess I need to also say, when we come back to in-person, and I will say right now, we are serving... Um, SPED kids that are in class. We're serving the uh, daycare kids in class. Those are all being provided at no cost. So when kids come back into class, everything will be at no cost as long as the federal government allows that. And I have a, a similar follow-up question. I, I think there's like an urban legend that it helps the program the more families come. So there's been, at least on our next door group in my neighborhood, sort of a help out the schools by coming and getting meals, whether you need them or don't need them. That I would is not say how I'm the not funding works at all. No, it does not. No, and that to me is just wasteful. Right? So come if you need the meals. If you don't do, come yes. Now I will tell you a phenomenal story, and I have to brag on my staff. There are certain pockets of our district we didn't expect to see a lot of families, but we've got a huge response. And when we said to some of these moms, why? <laughs> They said their kids wanted something normal this year. School lunch is normal. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they came and got the food, which was so cool. And we just loved it. They wanted to come see the lunch ladies and the guys. So, yeah, we Thank had a good Thank you so week. much. Ah. I have one really quick. Oh, yeah, go Just ahead, a comment. I did, I was... My next question was going to actually be to, to have you come up, so thank you, Ms. Borgman, for, for doing that. Um, I just wanted to say I, I saw on Facebook this weekend uh, my friend Marilyn who showed, the, showed physically the bounty of, of mm -hmm. she has four kids learning at home, mm -hmm. and it was amazing to see how much food it was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I hope that everyone does take advantage of it, though. Yes, yes and that's our, that's our point, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Great question, Jamie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, my last question was just around reporting of COVID-19 cases and what level of transparency and accountability the community should expect in terms of knowing when we do have positive cases or quarantines or outbreaks, what kind of data we will be sharing with the community about cases sure. in our schools. Have Shelby come up and answer that one? 
So is your question if there's a case in a classroom? It's sort of more writ large, like um, are we having outbreaks? Are we having zero cases? What do we know overall, not in one specific, not necessarily for people to know for quarantine or isolation purposes, more just for us to gauge, and for us to gauge as a board, the safety of our in-person learning. So I think we are going to get, Dr. Ziegler and I have been talking about getting a system in place to keep you all abreast of the number of cases. I was just looking on my cell phone because I didn't have a chance over the weekend to tabulate. Um, so I would just did a brief count on my cell phone of 15 students, and that's just from the weekend cases um, that I was notified of. So, and then um, Mike Schumacher's um, department is keeping track for us of all of the um, staff cases, and those are rolling in. Um, I don't know if you know numbers. I don't know numbers. I didn't talk to Jennifer today. Not today, last week. And that was numbers from the... Uh, 25th of August. So, yeah, and then um, we will report that up through Johnson County Department of Health and Environment, and they have a reporting, uh, they're working on a report that will go to KDHE as well. When, when we talk about these cases, of course, it's important to think about the why of that. There shouldn't be an assumption that these are all a result of exposures that occurred in school. In fact, often they occur somewhere else. So that's part of what we have to do with, uh, you know, careful information reporting. Um, I had a question for our maintenance and facilities folks. Um, did we get our MERV 13 filters? That's a great question, and I do have some answers. Okay. Um, most of our newer buildings and the newer equipment that's been changed out in the last four to five years is a MERV 13 capable unit. Um, those have been counted. It was tedious. Um, that counts there. Those orders that has been ordered. Um, I'm continuously told four to six weeks to expect shipment, but th that has been placed. Yes, ma'am. Four to six weeks from when? <sighs> We placed the order two weeks ago, yeah, and so roughly. maybe in like four weeks we'll have those in. That is the hope, yes. That is the hope. Yes. Okay. Well, I like that they were ordered. That is, no, it's good news. And, and it was more than I expected, mm -hmm. but there's, there's, there's quite a few rooftop units out there that can accept this, and it's good news. Great. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate yes. it. Yeah, go for it. Oh, don't go away. Dr. Sinclair has a follow-up. Yep. Well, in your earlier presentation, I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit more. I heard the word mold. Yeah. I said, oh, mold. <laughs> and right. so I understand, the way I heard that is that there's a, am I understanding that correctly, there's a balance between opening the windows, using or using the HVAC system, balancing kind of the, I don't know, if you could elaborate a little the, bit more. The whole, I just, right. And great question. The whole thing's a balance. And, and I don't want to come across as doom and gloom with it. Um, but when you're bringing in more fresh air, it's a positive for the for the COVID. Um, when it's rained for five straight days and you're bringing in 20% more outside air, it's not a positive for that case. And, and so on the HVAC spectrum, it, it helps when those units shut off at night. And, and if so, if I'm continuously pulling in more outside air, humid outside air, um, it does the same thing to the inside of the building, right? And so f for us to 
to alleviate the more outside air, let's shut the equipment off. Let the building get warm. And then when it comes back on, it's able to pull those water molecules out of the air and, and we can pull the humidity down and still be 72 degrees in the rooms. Thank you. I appreciate that yes, clarification. So it's not as simple as on and off. There's a lot more nuance to it, and I appreciate you clarifying that. I, okay. I have a fine arts question. Thank you, Tyler. Oh, so, Brad, you're done, and Reverend Guy, you're done. Okay, sorry. Just I did make sure. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It's nice to see you. You too. Um, so, and this may be a question for Dr. Fulton as well. Um, with fine arts, I know that, you know, with our theater programs, which are so strong in Shawnee Mission, those are considered extracurricular. Um, I've gotten some emails, I'm sure other board members have as well. Those are opportunities that, because they're extracurricular, we don't have the transportation issues and therefore equity issues that we may with some other things. Um, we can socially distance in theaters. And, and the, is there a plan at all to sort of think about bringing these kids in for some of these, these theater type programs, these fine art programs? Absolutely, we, we are discussing those concepts, those thoughts. Um, but based upon your guidance last week um, around fall sports and activities, um, as we've been talking with our folks, while they are, it, a lot of our music programs and, and theater, they're year-round activities, but they're not Keisha activities. And so we're still holding off on that. We've got guidance, and I'm sitting updating at this point to bring that up from our summer guidance for our summer activities and make that current for what's going on today. And so we're looking at that and hopefully sooner rather than later, but that's, you know, depending on, of course, what the, the uh, health department says and, and all the gating criteria and all of that. But we are working on plans so we can get them in motion. Uh, I was actually sitting on a webinar this afternoon about uh, virtual performances and how that could look and how that could work. So exploring all of that in, in constant conversation with our theater staff as well as music staff, and so we're talking about plans. Nothing ready to unveil yet, but we're in process. Okay, great news, thank mm -hmm. you. You bet. Mm -hmm. Done, Ms. Goodburn, done. Okay, so go ahead, Dr. Sinclair. So I have one last question about, as um, our athletic activities have gotten back underway and we've shifted from kind of conditioning and practices to competitions, um, are there, is there a process for the safety protocols? If there are, how is that rolling out? I'm thinking of, um, I just heard some differences in masking in some of the competitions like, you know, volleyball. So I had a former player, so I'm hearing from some of those parents where we have some kids masking during competition and others not. And I didn't know if there's a process for how that might get. Good evening. Process. Actually, by CASHA recommendation and Kansas Health System recommendations, mm -hmm. uh, they would ask that we don't mask during exertion, mm -hmm. and that would be competition. Uh, volleyball, a lot of the teams are opting to wear a mask. Most of our girls are wearing a mask, but there are some that are not. And that's based on what CASHA has said, and it's based on what Kansas Health System has said. Okay. All right, so that's just one of those places where it's, um, some are opting to be more conservative, both are falling within the guidelines. Absolutely. Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. Okay. 
Um, Dr. Fulton, you had mentioned earlier um, there are some additional there's some additional guidance for consideration that we may want to consider for a resolution um, that is, includes KSDE recommendations as well as KSHA recommendations. Are you suggesting that we revisit the resolution at some point in the near future to incorporate KSHA as well as KSDE? That I would. Um, you know, we have some of that guidance was already in our back to school document that we have. And of course, that's a living document. So we can continue to draw from those documents and add it in. But since we are sourcing them for specific aspects of our operations, I think it would be good to add them into the resolution so that people recognize we're using uh, those groups as, as uh, resources for some of our work. Okay. Is that something that perhaps at the next meeting we should take a closer look at? Um, yeah, we're we're working on seeing with Rachel what needs to be, what language would be used and what would need to be added. And then if that is something that would be on the agenda, it'll get into board docs so that you can see it before the meeting. Okay, great. I'm glad to hear we're moving in that direction because I think you had mentioned there's some real benefits to KSDE that we might want to consider um, that is not currently in the gating criteria, so might allow. Yeah, I would, I would probably at this point. I mean, I think we're 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 really working so closely with Johnson County that I just want to stay focused on working with them and following the guidelines that they've provided to us. They've done a great job, and they're uh, again, even like with testing. Even though we know that we're not going to have testing immediately, large scale. We want to make sure and be working with them on protocols that will allow us to have options tomorrow that might not be available today. And I had mentioned earlier the idea that we want to get secondary students in. If we're in red for quite a while, we're going to have to stay remote unless and until JCDHE is able to identify protocols that might be effective and running schools safely in a in a hybrid mode, for example, but everything's evolving yeah. over time, and I'm sure that as uh, as testing becomes available, and as we learn more about the science of this virus, that their guidance will continue to uh, be updated as necessary. Perfect. So we really look for them for that guidance. Thank you. Are there any further questions on this pr presentation or can we move to the next in item on our agenda? Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much everyone who presented this go round. We appreciate it. Um, and we'll move on to 3.2 um, Kansas Education Systems Accreditation Review with Dr. Hubbard, I think. So I just want to take a minute and talk about our accreditation process. As you all know, um, KISA is the process that we um, have gone, we started through uh, down that road last year, and in April we hosted our um, a very large, it's called an OVT, outside visiting team, um, a, a visit. And we had over 50 people. It was really quite amazingly orchestrated by Kim Barney, and Kim's here with us tonight, and she's going to talk specifically about that visit and um, how that went and then the report that we have it it's a massive report which you have access to there's some great things in there there's still some things that we need to be working on which we are and um, but I just 
I can't tell you how much work Kim does on this behind the scenes. Um, she does an amazing job with our principals, with our site councils, um, with that visiting team, and just the organization to pull off that WebEx visit was really quite amazing. So kudos to Kim for that. And with that, I'm going to pass this on to her. Dr. Hubbard, thank you for inviting me to be here tonight. It's exciting to share an update with you. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words Dr. Hubbard said, and yes, I do do a lot of work behind the scenes, but I couldn't do it without a lot of people behind me and in front of me and working with me. So I'm going to hopefully try to illustrate that for you this evening because we can't, I mean, I wish you could have actually been there to hear it and see it because it was very amazing. And it was amazing because of the stakeholders that were participating right there alongside me. So with that in mind... Um, I want to just give you some background on what KISA is and make sure that we all have the same understanding. So KISA is the state accreditation system. It's a five-year improvement cycle. Um, it, the accreditation happens at the district level. So in the past, our buildings, our schools were each accredited, and they've changed that model where everything comes back and we're evaluated as a system or as a district. And um, as part of that five-year process, we're in, we just completed year three. So we're currently into year four. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about is really, after hearing a lot of heavy stuff tonight and all the heavy lifting of the work of reopening schools, this is really a rewind back to maybe some lighter and happier times when we were really excited about and really proud of the work that was happening. And not that we're not proud of what's happening now. It's just really hard. But this is a time to celebrate. And um, I want to highlight some of the great things that are happening in our schools as a part of that. So the little cycle um, graphic there explains the process that the, we go through. So as you remember, in year one, we identified our needs by doing the needs assessment. And all of our staff were involved in that process. And as a result of that, we chose two areas that we thought we needed to focus on the most. One was relationships, and the other was responsive culture. And as we worked through that, we were also embarking on our new strategic planning process as a district. So we made sure that everything that we're doing as a system, my role is really to stand behind the scenes and see what do we need to do to stay in compliance and make sure there are no surprises when we get to the end of that five-year cycle. And how can I bring the things together that, we're hap that are happening in all these different compartments and, and make those connections for um, and co collect that evidence and, and results and stuff so that we can actually provide that evidence to the people when they look at our accreditation process. So with that in mind, I mean, you heard some of these things even tonight in the reopening, but you, know, you recognize these things. You know, we are committed to stakeholder engagement. We've made a big increase in how we engage our internal and external stakeholders along the way. Our commitment to diversity and equitable, inclusive culture, all the work that's happening with the deep equity training and all the things behind the scenes that are, are much larger than even just being trained on it, but actually looking through that lens at everything that we do. Um, tonight, we've heard a lot of talk around social, emotional learning and mental health. And that's a very, very important part of the work that we're, our schools are doing. And then under responsive culture, of course, we're committed to that personalized learning, making sure our students have the skills and tools that they need to be successful, making sure that our middle school students and our high school students have relevant and um, important integrated individual plans of study that help them prepare for their future beyond right now. Um, making sure our kids are prepared for academic and interpersonal success, which all of those things up above come together to make that happen. And then response to intervention, and Dr. Dennis talked a little about that. What do we do when kids need more help or more time or extra support? Or they already know it and they need that extension to keep furthering their learning. And so all of those things are really a, a com 
compilation of all the work that's going on throughout the district and throughout our schools. So as I said, we're really going to talk mostly about what the visit was like. We were scheduled to have that visit on April 30th. We had the decision to make whether we, we were shut down, as you know, because of the pandemic. And we could have punted and said, you know what, we're going to pause and wait. And at the time, it seemed kind of daunting to take that on when we were all not working here together and we weren't, no one knew. You know, we were just trying to figure out what learning looked like in our new environment, how we could support each other. But it's not like things have gotten a lot more simple. So I am really thankful that we went ahead and pushed forward because we had done all of the work for those three quarters that we were in school. And we had a lot of important information to share with that OVT team. So the purpose of the OVT team is basically outside educators come in and they collaborate with us and they provide coaching and mentoring and support and they share best practices and we share best practices. It's really um, it's a very high level of collaboration and professional um, support. But it also serves a very important purpose in addition to that collaboration, and that is the accountability. So making sure that what we say we're doing is actually what's happening. And so we can have pretty documents, and we can have great presentations, and we can do you know, what used to be the QPA dog and pony show, for those of you who've been around a while. But they really want to come in, and they want to ask hard questions, and they want to dive in and ask what's working, what's challenging. They want to know that what we say we're doing is actually what's happening out in our schools. And so that's the role that the, the staff played when they, those 50-plus stakeholders that Dr. Hubbard referenced. They, the unintended consequence of doing it last spring during the shutdown is we didn't have to worry about subs and schedules. Like We had a lot more freedom. So we were able to engage a lot more of our teachers and our administrators and our coaches and counselors and social workers in the process. And I just really wish that you could have been there to hear them tell their story. And that there was so much pride and so many great things that you know, they could connect to you. Um, it, was, it was really, I, I didn't know what to expect. I was just like hoping the technology worked and that I'd practiced enough and, and some of those things. But I, the, what surpassed, surprised me was the inspiration and the motivation and the pride that the teachers and the staff shared. And so as a result of that, it was about a six hour WebEx. So, I mean, we took some breaks, of course, but 50 plus people, on WebEx, trying to engage. So I had a lot of support with people watching the chat and people watching, I mean, you know, it was stuff. I couldn't just do it by myself, as I said. But the best part was the open conversation that our staff had was sharing, yes, this is what's working. You know what? This is kind of hard. We need some ideas around how we could do this better. That's the way you continue to improve and grow. So based on the outcome of that collaborative conversation with all that input from our staff, the OVT identified and provided us with some feedback, and I'm just going to summarize that. You can see that there's a lot to be proud of. They identified a lot of strengths within the district. So they really felt like at all levels we're very student-centered, as we should be, because we're all here for kids. They love the interconnectedness between the KISA process and the district strategic plan. So it shouldn't be KISA over here, school improvement, and here's what we've got on our plan. It has to be integrated and has to be seen as one seamless thing. Um, they felt like there was strong alignment between the work at the district office and what was actually happening in the school level initiatives, which is really important. That gets back to that fidelity and transparency piece. That's really their job, to come in and see, if are we just you know, telling you a good story, or is it really actually transferring into impacting our students in the classroom? 
Um, the the uh, thought that we have good communication, strong communication, and utilizing our district leadership team and our building leadership teams, and that we continue to gather a broad base of input from both internal and external stakeholders. And they uh, um, were very, very appreciative and complimentary of our commitment to that responsive culture and equity work and the importance of social emotional learning and mental health support for all students. So lots of great things to celebrate there, lots to be proud of. On the other side of the slide is some things that they said, you know, you're doing a great job, but here's some things to remember as you get closer to the end of year five where the accreditation review will happen and they'll actually decide your accreditation status. We need to remember the importance of using data to tell our story and making sure that we're collecting the right data, that we're analyzing the data, we're making changes based on what the data tells us, and that we know what's working and what's not working. Um, as I said, there's a lot of open, honest conversation. We had uh, high school and middle school counselors and principals and a few teachers talking about implementing the individual plans of study. Nobody disagrees that that's an important tool. Middle school felt really comfortable because of the way they've built into their schedule to use mascot time. Um, at least this was when we were all in person, you know, last year. But they were utilizing that mascot time to build those plans with the kids, teach them why it's important, review those plans. Well, at high school, it's a little more difficult. They didn't have necessarily that time element. So our teachers were really honest and said, we have plans of study, but they could be so much better if we made... Uh, it a priority and figured out a way to overcome that barrier of time. So that's something that we'll be working with our high schools. So again, it's not all just everything's rosy and great. It's really about what is hard, what do we need to work on, how can we get better. Um, we need to continue to focus on strategically collecting data. They say we have a lot of data, and I know Dan would agree with me, we do have a lot of data. We've got to make sure we're collecting the right data and that we're using that data. Um, Continue to make connections for staff so that they see that strategic plan and school improvement and what they do in their classrooms every day is really interconnected to the end results of making sure our students achieve those objectives that we've outlined in the strategic plan. And then continuing to engage our, um, our stakeholders through PLCs, district leadership team, building leadership team, our building and district site councils in the improvement process. And then really kind of transitioning into what's up for this year. The primary objectives for year four is really kind of doing the same thing that we're already doing. You already participated in it today. What's going well? What do we need to work on? Where are we with this? It's the same thing that our buildings are doing. They're looking at their results. They're monitoring the progress. We want to know how we're doing with meeting those state board goals and our strategic plan objectives. We want to make sure that we continue to implement and um, our improvement plans, and every school has a school improvement plan that's very much aligned with the district initiatives outlined in the strategic plan. We want to make sure they continue to gather the evidence and data to monitor our progress and to measure the impact on the results, because it's really all about results. And then we need to do the things to prepare for year five accreditation, which is really all that data piece that I just kind of talked about. And then continue to update our site councils and board of education and stakeholders along the process. So. Hopefully that gives you a little bit overview of where we were last spring, all the great things that happened as a result of the work of the teachers and the principals and the, the people and the boots on the ground, if you will, um, and kind of where we're going with this year. But I would be happy to answer any questions if you have any. I don't know if we need to go around in a circle, if everybody, if, if anyone has questions that they want to just let me know or Dr. Sinclair. 
Um, thank you so much for that. I appreciate all the work that went into making that happen um, and continuing forward with the um, the site visit. So, um, is there? So, I have two questions. Okay. One, um, are, is there anything that's top of mind when we think about the outside visitors? Which I think is one of the great strengths of the Kisa system is that opportunity to meet with folks um, outside of the district. Anything in particular? Uh, anything specifically that was either an affirmation of what we're doing that they shared with our our staff or um, any particular new idea that our our staff kind of had a oh aha yes we want to okay. pursue that I, yeah idea. I would say that a lot of what they as far as the strength side like what they affirmed mm -hmm. was really the strong work collectively of all the people involved and how it was aligned with what we our vision our north stars Dr. Fulton says with our, our strategic plan and that it was really evident when they saw the support documents that we sent them to kind of say here's a strategic plan here's our KISA plan it was easy for outside people even to make those connections because it was that closely aligned and that communication piece and that really is a result as I said of all the work that the teachers and building principals and district administrators around me are doing every day to help us all row in our boat the same direction so I would say that was probably the greatest like affirmation that you know we're, we're we know where we're going and we're going there together uh, as far as the, the takeaway I would say there were a couple First one being the um, individual plans of study that I kind of mentioned at the high school that, you know, they gave us some ideas like even to, to reach out to Topeka because Dr. Dole is our chair. He also chairs the Topeka KISA process. And he knows for a fact that, you know, they had that same struggle and they put some things in place. Well, so that's on my list is to reach out and get some more information so that we can not just say we know we need to do better, but how do we actually find out how we can do better? Um, so that would be an example there. And then I also just think the having a more laser focus on our data and making sure that we know what we're collecting and what it's going to measure and we can clearly say that data is a direct result that shows that what we're doing is working or if it's not, it's not and what do we do to either change what we're doing or do we abandon something. Um, you know, they, they were very complimentary of all the great things we have going on but it's almost like maybe we need to narrow down a little bit more to a focus to that laser when we're talking about the results piece that we have to provide that we've met those requirements if you're trying to measure everything then are you really getting are you measuring anything you know too much can be too much so i would say kind of that this year i would like to see us narrow that down you have something to add yeah i would add to that just because i think you'll hear this in the next year it's called the arc which is yep. the accreditation review committee council, council thank you and um, the ARC, he, he kept, um, Dr. Dole, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times, that, that the ARC is going to expect higher data results than accreditation processes in the past. Mm -hmm. In the past in Kansas, I mean, once, other than our small AYP window where, you know, every year we had to make um, improvements, or you were on improvement, if you will, um, the accreditation process has really been, um, how do I say this? It, it's really been very methodical. And if you saw, if you showed progress of any sort, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of accountability in regards to improvement. And the ARC, um, that is really changing in, in this process. And the ARC is going to expect our test scores to increase. 
very specifically. My question, thank you, dovetails into that. So, um, given the disruption in some of the assessments that are guiding us, does this put more um, emphasis then on some of our more of our formative measures, our map, kind of less so with the state assessments because of the disruption, or how does that? I don't think it's less, but I, I will say, um, I went to, and Dr. Dennis attended as well, but we went to a training last fall, winter-ish, um, on DISKISA and staying current, and some of the ARC, a couple of the ARC, mem ARC committee members were actually present, and so I strategically joined their table because I wanted to listen to what they were saying, so I'd know a little bit more. Um, and with that in mind, they were really talking about, yes, we expect to see results, and we want to see improvement, and we all do. I mean, that's why we're here. But at the same time, we know that there have been challenges, and so despite our best efforts, it may not be, results may not produce to the point that we absolutely want them to. But are we being reflective to say, here's what we, so take the spring. We had our continuous learning. We did what we could with what we had, and we've learned from it. And our remote learning now looks nothing like it did in the spring. It's the same kind of idea. If we fall short of a goal, which we could, do we know why? Do we know what we're going to do different? Do we have a plan to move forward? They're all, I mean, they very much do care about the results, but it's not like a, you made it and you didn't. If you didn't and you don't know why, it's like the same thing when you would go and observe a teacher in a classroom and it didn't go well. I wasn't concerned if it didn't go well. I was concerned if she or he didn't know that that didn't go well. But when they come and say, here's what I would do different, I'm like, they got it. They understand that process of reflection. So, I mean, it is results, and then we also got to make sure that we also have the rationale and the planning and the communication of how we move forward if our results aren't in every case where we want them to be. And I don't know what it's going to look like with missing of assessments yeah. because we're going to have some, some gaps, right, because we haven't tested in everything. So um, I haven't heard much in regards from the ARC to what that looks like yet. I'm sure that will be coming soon. I know um, Dan and, and the CNI team have been working on an assessment schedule for this year, and we're all going to have to be real creative with what that looks like. Um, you know, we're waiting a little bit now that we're going to have elementary. Um, we, we've pushed back MAP a little bit so that we can do it in person. We were planning to do it remotely for everybody, um, but we are hoping to do that in person some now with this transition, but we also have a very large number of remote kids that we're going to have to figure out how to assess. So, um, you know, the high school remote, maybe for an extended period of time, we're going to have to be creative. We're going to have to figure out what that looks like. So, but you know, the whole state's going to be in this, in this ballpark. So mm -hmm. I, I expect the ARC to start coming out with some information. Have you all heard anything from the ARC other than what I shared? Okay. And, so. and they are a part of the State Department of Education? They're actually a committee. So here, the OBT, um, our outside visiting team, they make our recommend. They come and they stay with us through the five years, and then they kind of share information with the ARC and make a recommendation regarding accreditation status. But the ARC is the committee who actually votes on and gives the district accreditation or not. And they are independent of the State Department in that they're part of the process, but they don't work at the State Department. Like the lady I mentioned I sat next to, she actually works in a neighboring district. And she said, hey, if you want to, you know, at any time, 
show me your data and like even do a, a preview, which I have her name in case we want to take advantage of some of that, Dan. But um, you know, they really want to help people m make hit the mark. Um, but they are actually educators, almost just like our OVT members are, of outside. So it's an independent council. Is that anything you would add, Dr. Dennis? No, that's, that's a good description. Thank you for that. Ms. Embry? I, I would be interested in, um, and this is sort of like Jamie's flag earlier about social work, I think just understanding broadly what the like various data and assessments are that we're using, and not, not just so I can know them all, but how do they, particularly how do they actually link up with our strategic plans, since that was one of the things that Kesa particularly commented on as strength for the district is that link between our strategic plan and building level activities. It'd be useful, I think, for us as a board to understand um, what metrics we're looking at as a team to know whether we're making progress against that strategic plan. Absolutely. So some of that is on the data dashboard on the district website. So you'll find a large part of that. Um, state assessments, ACT, PSAT. Right, right. And, and some of that is yes, to get to be updated yet because of some of the gaps and things. Um, we also have uh, participation type data. You know, you look at uh, students in uh, uh, enrolled in, in, in successfully passing al Algebra 2, for example, is in there. Um, we also look at, uh, for example, looking at uh, Zello, the the uh, the um, uh, the IPS. Stay closer. Um, we're looking at participation activity, and there's some other metrics we can pull from that data set. But we we've got the initial data set is looking at just uh, you know is our students um, completing the, the 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 three or four initial tasks that are required in the IPS. But there's some other data that we can pull out of that system too as we as we dive deeper and students get more involved in that system as well. And this might be one of those like, because I just pulled it up, like incredible tools that we have not tooted our own horn about enough because there is a ton of data here, a ton of information. I think there's an incredible level of transparency that the district is offering to our stakeholders and to our patrons and to students and families if they want to understand how we're doing as a district. I just, even being on the board myself, did not know till this moment that it existed. Yeah, so it's I think great. we should do more to get it out there. The other thing too is I, it, it's been a couple months since I've looked at this report, um, other than just briefly looking at it, but the report that we submitted also has a large amount of data connected to it. So if you just wanted to peruse that report, you're gonna find um, all of that data that we submitted to the team as well. I do, I do. I Sorry, we've kind of mostly been talking about academic data, but we have to show progress on the state board goals. So that's kindergarten readiness. So that's our ASQ, our kindergarten screening data. So we have some of that. Social emotional, so the panorama survey, that data that, that supports that. And then of course, a lot of our academic um, data that addresses post-college secondary success and individual plans of study. And so, you know, we know we need to have them, but we, over the next two years, I want to have more data around, are we using them? Are we engaging our families with them? Are we, because it's not a compliance of get a plan and never look at it. That's not improvement, that's compliance. So there's other data outside of just the results that we've got, or the state assessment. I, I see over there, Mr. Stratton, I have a question too. I just want to, um, I find it somewhat disconcerting that the ARC would specifically want to continue to see continued improvement on testing scores, particularly for this year in this testing cycle. Um, 
I mean, it strikes me that as a community, we're in the midst of surviving a trauma, and we know that ACEs and trauma negatively impact our ability to both perform and, of course, to perform better than and we than did what just, we were performing last yeah. year when things were lovely. So We don't know exactly well how that's going to play out because we just um, found out from that they voted that like schools are what's the wording exactly that you could take a break or, or like stop kisa work for because there's a lot going on okay so dr dennis and i just had a conversation this morning or this afternoon in, in earlier around this and so he's like what's kind of what what are your thoughts on that and i said i don't think we stop because everything we are doing is about improving but i think there may be some grace and some different things that come as a result of this pandemic that maybe they look at results a little bit differently uh, you know they're not going to say we well, didn't have last year's tests and this year you were missing fourth quarter and then you're remote and whatever so they may make some accommodations but we can't sit back and hope for that and the key here is good instruction and making sure that we're instructing no matter what our model which is what dr dennis shared earlier where however our kids are learning are we engaging them are we focusing on the priority standards are we providing feedback are we engaging the families? Are we reaching out for the mental health? I mean, it's all the things you guys talked about for the first two hours of the meeting, really. I might, I might add too. You know, while you, while we are in a state where it's difficult to do some of this uh, deeper uh, data work that we were prepared to do for the start of this year, the good news is there's a lot of learning around Canvas and other kinds of tools that are going to be essential for us to understand where all of our learners are with respect to the priority standards. So the use of common assessments around those priority standards is essential to going beyond a once a year test score to really monitoring growth over time. So, well, we're losing a little bit in some ways, but gaining in others. And I think there'll be a better long-term mm -hmm. benefit for uh, students and also for staff in uh, their use of data from authentic measures like formative assessments to really measure growth over time at an individual learner level, but also within a school or even for us as a district. Mr. Stratton. Uh, my questions have to do with uh, reminding me the, the our peer group across the state, meaning um, didn't didn't when this started rolled out, Weren't there different districts that started at different points? And so different districts are at different phases along the way. Um, are there districts that have already completed the five years? Yes. And so is it is it one-fifth? Is it divided equally? So or? we jumped in a year one. So this is the third year of the KISA process, but school districts could decide where they wanted to jump in. Right. Um, and so, yes, there's some that have finished it. There's also, and I think it's very fair to say that the target has changed a little bit from year one, and I say that meaning there's a renewed sense of results and importance, and that's kind of what you were trying to get at with the ARC, is that we want to make sure that we're, the state board goals are really around, a couple of them are academic, but a lot of them aren't, and so making sure we had that balanced approach, and that's still important. But then it almost was like a too soft of approach on the data side and the achievement data side, and then they're kind of vamping that up. So there's going to be higher expectations for the schools that started the cycle already in year one or two of their second cycle for those results because they kind of re reframed it is that fair um what the focus needs to be so 
with that in mind, that's mm -hmm. part of what we're trying to get ready for. I mean, we're probably, we're in great shape to be accredited, but as we vamp up and join that next cycle, it's going to get nothing but more important that we see those results improve. And honestly, while there's been a lot of questions around social emotional from, from the accreditation standpoint, that's probably um, the side that we we really are excelling, I would say, in regards to um, as far as the accreditation process goes from the social emotional standpoint, we will fly through that I mean flying colors it'll be we'll, we're, we're going to be in great shape it's our academic data we really have to work on, and that that's where the arc is really pushing the uh, accountability piece It's just hard that it correlates with this year yeah, it's bad timing. well, mm -hmm. and you know remember it's a five year cycle, so if you mm -hmm. it, it's showing improvement so it's not unusual in a five-year cycle that a district might take a dip in one of those years. So, especially during a historic global pandemic. Exactly <laughs> right. So, you know, we're gonna we we have work to do, and we know that, and we're working on it continuously. And you know, our attendance rate, we've um, while it's not one of those indicators, it it is for us because uh, we were on improvement for that this last year in regards to. Uh, chronic absenteeism, so we have interventions in place for that. It's with some really small subgroups of kids, so I appreciated your question, uh, Ms. Goodburn, around attendance. I mean, we have some very specific protocol in regards to tracking kids that are not in, in attendance and, and what that looks like. And, you know, when we drop a kid, like, for example, if a parent can say, well, my kid's going to Olathe. Well, we wait for records requests. We verify records requests. We don't just say, okay, they're gone to Olathe. I mean, there's a process to ensure that kids don't fall through the cracks because we want to make sure that kids are accounted for. I'm not seeing any. Just to respond yeah, to your question about uh, was it a fifth of yeah. the, the state each year, S districts had a choice where they jumped in. A great majority jumped in as we did at the very beginning. So most districts in the state are exactly where we are in going into year four. Okay, thank you. And that leads to my question then. And, and the question is, do we have a cohort or a peer group that we're both competing with because we're all year threes moving to year fours? But more importantly, do we have a group that we can turn to to learn from, like those that might be already fours or, or even the fives that we can turn to them. You referenced the Topeka group as an example. It maybe sound like they might have been a year ahead of us or, or something. Anyway, they've got experiences that we don't have. Is that a formal structure? Is that an informal structure it's to tap these? It's more informal, and I would say it comes through the OVT. So, like, we we share with them things that we want them to look at and give us feedback on, and one of them was the individual plans of study, which is why they shared with us Topeka would be a good place. So, because they're on different teams, they have knowledge about other districts and how they're working through the, some of these same challenges, but it's not as formal as, as that. Okay. I would also use the word collaboration versus competition honestly fair enough because we are not, i mean we're not competing against them necessarily we're really competing against ourselves this is about improving ourselves and not necessarily being stacked up against our neighbors but um, i personally have had lots of calls from other districts saying mostly around our alignment between kisa and our strategic plan because our obt is is cheering that out there yeah. and they're saying you need to call shawnee mission and say Tell us how you've done that process. So um, I think, you know, that it, it does provide for that great collaborative piece because when we're struggling with IPS, then we call, Topeka specifically was around our preschool 
screeners and um, the ASQ and how to get parent participation. And they, they had a great way of doing that. So they said, call Topeka. And so we're like, great, we'll call Topeka. So I, I would say it's much more about we're all collaborating to, to make our scores better for the ARC. Good. Thanks. For that. That's what I wondered. When this was rolled out, I was trying to figure out how these districts would all be moving through this five-year cycle at different times. I just yeah. want to clarify that. When I say make our scores better, ultimately that's about learning. It's not <laughs> about the score, right? It's about yeah. the learning from kids. Yeah, thanks. I thought I had read, and I, I thought maybe I had dreamed this, but the, at the state board that they had said that KISA could, you could pause on KISA. I thought I had read that last week, but it sounds like to me that we decided, made the decision to forge ahead. Well, it's basically pausing as far as like your formal structure. So I would say if we hadn't had our visit last spring and all this is going on, they would give us the grace. You were supposed to have it by October of this year if you didn't do it last spring. If we hadn't done that, we might say, you know what, we need a little bit of time. Now's not the time to add one more thing to already very full and busy plates. So when I say we're forging ahead, it's more like we need to keep monitoring our data. We need to keep focusing on the things that we value. That part of the school improvement, you know, we usually bring the district leadership team in quarterly. Um, this year it'll probably be remoting them in. And we may not do anything first quarter just because there's a lot going on and we have the grace of them saying you don't have to. So it'll, it will, we'll adjust kind of what we do, but I don't want to send the message that we take a break from school improvement because I don't know that they're going to move that five-year that end goal back. So if we don't work now, we're just going to have more to do later. So we got to keep kind of keeping on. Does that make sense? And is there? A, I, I just have the slides here. Is there a full report that is available if we wanted to Did review the, the full Kisa report? Kisa report not in there. Okay. Yes, we have it. Yes, we'll get it to you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. I thought it was uploaded. No, they want good. the. Both ours and the OBTs, which you have. Okay, thank you. Now I'm not seeing any further hands. Okay, good. Um, thank you very much. It's very appreciated. Right, thank you. Um, we did not have board comment added to this agenda, and so after we vote on the consent items for this evening, um, the meeting will be adjourned. Um, that was not intentional. It was just not placed on here and now we've already adopted and accepted the agenda. So we just won't have closing remarks today. So thank you guys. Um, so I will now seek a motion for approval of the consent items. Oh, can uh, I? Yeah, go ahead, it, Mary. Um, in, I'm gonna try to sneak a question in. Um, sorry. No, okay. the, um, the, when you were asking about kind of trying to remember where that um, conversation was, I think, Ms. Um, Barney, you were making a reference to the State Board of Education had had that meeting that was, I think it was Tuesday. It just brought to mind, it seems to me that we're getting a lot of information through YouTube, YouTube channel um, uh, um, live stream of very critical meetings that are happening around the state so, and around the counties. So, the State Department of Education has a YouTube channel that they're live streaming the State Board of Education meetings, which I assume is kind of where some of that conversation about the CASA requirements or where we're finding out about what the, um, on the governor's um, YouTube channel, all those meetings around the allocation of, of federal dollars that have come to our state and how that might be impacting us as a district or as a county or coming from the governor's YouTube channel. Our meetings are live streamed. And I just wanted 
I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking an opportunity. Um, at our board, our last special meeting, I think it's really important for people to to recognize that source of information because our meetings are live streamed, and I think it's really important that we all know that because we had some folks outside who didn't realize what was happening in here and may not be aware of those live stream channels. And I think that's a really critical source of information. Things are happening so rapidly. It's almost like these meetings are being live streamed and it's steps are being taken before it's even hitting the media, that kind of thing. Oh. Feel accurate or? It's accurate. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, um, I'll, I'll seek a motion to, for approval of the consent items. So moved, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Do we have a second? Second, Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, it passes unanimously. Um, thank you everyone for being here tonight. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you.